from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper. You are live from the path. Listening to live from the path, we're coming from the Pathway Studios here in Johnston proper. I was born here, I'll die here. We're not born here. We're not born here. No, pretty close. I'm a I'm a man of constant sorrow. <laughs> All right, here's what we got going on the show uh, this evening. Um, so there were a number of you who did not complain about the show last week, and that tells me you didn't listen to it. You really should have. And so uh, you're not being discerning, and uh, you should change your ways about that. I, yeah. Either that or you're not passionate enough to tell us when you are discerning, in which case both are problems. Let us know. We know, we are, we know you're either not watching or you are and you don't care. Yeah. Just text me and say, hey, Booba, miss you. And I'll feel better about no, myself. I, okay, yeah. No, whatever. I don't care. All right. You're, uh, here's what we got going on the show uh, this evening. There was an article uh, on the Christian Post that said the main reason people ditch God. What do you think it is, Mike? Have you read the article? No. Do you read for fun? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Can you read? How many letters of the alphabet can you name? Go. Stop. Alpha. <laughs> I was gonna start Sigma. with. I was gonna start with G. I don't know why. Why would I start at the beginning? Hey, I had it in my mind. In fact, I was in a discussion in the car with one of my kids uh, a couple of days ago around like. It feels like the English, like the UK, United Kingdom English, they they don't like they don't use the Z, like we use Z for things that they don't use Z for. Yeah, that's because they use Z. Yeah, How do they represent well, sleeping. Well, right, but they but like it's the same. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think they saw logs. Z, 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 Z. But anyway, I, like, I was trying to figure out, like, when someone was putting the English language together, <laughs> like, is there one where they're like, eh, we don't really need it. But, like, what, what, what tipped the scales? Like, what, when, when the S was available, what caused them to go, I think we really need this Z? Do you want to think, Mike, do you know anything about that? No, I don't care about this, Ben. Ah. <sighs> You should ask AI. Okay. You shouldn't have spent any more than about three seconds on this. I've been thinking about it all week. I'm going to ask AI why English does not, why English has both Z and S when they both could accomplish the same thing just with S. Well, S can do more. It's because of fussy and fuzzy. Those are two different things. What about? I'm feeling fuzzy. No, I I'm feeling fuzzy. Somebody made the same sound a B makes, and they're like, it's, they don't go pssss. And so they're like, we got to represent that somehow. You also said different starting consonants with that, weirdly enough. Yeah, that that got real you confusing. Went, you went buzz and then pss, like buzz. Pss. Where did like wait, wait, make, make a B and an S sound? Pss. Do we have to work through pss. what sound a B makes versus pss. what sound a Say, B try makes? Try it. Buzz. Yeah. yeah. And pss. No, it's now make a B. Did. Now do a B and an S together. Okay. Pss. All right. This is the right time pss. to say. We're opening a Patreon account of which you can pay for extra content. <laughs> we're going to move this. Phonics. We're going to move this to the extra part. Twenty bucks a month. Move and Mike figure out how to pronounce a P versus a B. <laughs> okay, what, my main. Uh, what's the main reason people ditch God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think it is? Christians. I think it, I think it's people. Okay, you think it's be, like because Christians are offensive? Yeah. Well, well, I. No, crap. I don't know. I would say that like. Uh, 
people they, people have set an expectation on what God's going to do and what he's not, and he didn't make it. Okay, okay. God's God's not meeting their expectations. Yes. Okay, Boob, what do you think? I think it is people misrepresenting God. As okay. In, uh, they they claim the name of God and then are just rough people and are not doing anything alongside it. And so people lose faith thinking there's no chance that there's a God behind that kind of behavior or that kind of person. Right. If there is a God, he sucks because he's letting people tarnish yep. his name. Right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Dan, what do you think? I, th- I think they will say it's because uh, Christians are hypocrites, but in reality, it's just because they're rebellious. They don't. They don't want to be. Controlled. They don't give a rip. They don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they got to blame somebody else. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's check it out. This is by uh, Robin P. Shoemaker. She said, uh, "I've had a flurry of in-your-face confrontations over God lately. Whoa. The most the most recent occurred at a funeral. A person Whoa. at the visitation went on an extended rant." That pinballed in every direction and included me being peppered with so many, how can you believe that I lost count? Then there's the 30-something girl who bailed on the faith after a terrible failed marriage to a person in the ministry who who turned out to be a moral failure, which included extra heapings of guilt thrown onto her by the loving members of the church she used to attend. Last but not least is another woman raised in the faith who now views Christianity as repressive and kicked it to the curb because of her sexual and other moral preferences. It's been quite the scene. A couple years back, I wrote an article on three reasons people reject the faith, and all of them were present in these latest encounters, along with the ever-present dislike of God's moral law. The first person had bad events come into his life that pretty much train-wrecked everything. Although not aware of it, they were wrestling with the issue. Oh, nobody cares. He was now nodding in agreement with atheist, atheist Richard Dawkins, who wrote, In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Well, that's a hopeful. The second person had bad people come into her life. She was locking arms with Gandhi, who said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. The third person had bad morals well up within uh, well up within her life. She'd settled into the position articulated well by some fellow who said, I had motives for not wanting – I liked it. I thought this was actually a pretty uh, spot-on quote. I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. And so I think you can toss out sexual freedom if you had to, but any freedom, like right. you, it's 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 easier if you t- toss out the sense of a moral good, it liberates you from the burden of failing to adhere to it, regardless of whatever that constraint is that you believe they're doing. Yeah, that's being really generous with the word freedom. Yeah, yeah. When you talk with these three people and others in their same shoes long enough, you find that they may have different reasons for stiff-arming God, but they all have one thing in common – As the guy at the funeral went on about why God couldn't exist, I noticed something interesting about him. He was furious. Same with the two women I described. That's a strange feeling to have about something you don't think exists. No one gets that mad at Santa Claus because they don't get what they want at Christmas. Uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, who debated the late atheist Christopher Hitchens on multiple occasions, said that many atheists have two declarations. One, there is no God. And two, I hate him. Uh, On the one hand, the Bible talks about the mind of the unbeliever being hostile toward God and the rage being directed at the Creator, but there's something more going on here. The mindset is that we're not getting what we want and deserve and are angry about it. So that's the sum up. It's like all these things are people have an expectation. The expectation is not being met. Um, There is uh, a Creator God. If if a Creator God exists who could have said it right, uh, again, they either stink at their job 
or there simply isn't one, which is a very hopeless position, right? Like think of the ways that people were um, reacting, the, the funeral person and the person who was married to the person with the moral failure. Like uh, – and maybe this, it's a religious crutch to be like I have to believe that this means something or it matters to someone as opposed to mm-hmm. um, someone mistreated me horribly. I am the recipient of a grave injustice and the world is indifferent about it because the same indifference that allows people freedom or what they believe to be freedom to do whatever they want uh, also crushes people without any consideration or concern if there's no moral reason behind it. And so what a callous way to even think of the world. We should – if we believe that to be true, you should lament that. You should lament that there's a – that there is a quote-unquote freedom that allows you – um, to not have to be bogged down by any sense of uh, either personal or corporate morality because that same thing is spitting in the eyes of the poor. It's crushing the lame. It's um, more like, – atrocities go unmourned because it's indifferent. That would be – that's a hopeless world. Yeah, because not only is the definition of morality a floating definition, but it varies largely by your uh, scope of perspective, right? So like – Even if on a moral stance, like you did what was best for your family, like for example, like the folks across the street, you were starving and the people across the street had food and refused to give you any, right? Like you're like, well, on a a sliding scale, if I just rob the people across the street from me, now my family is eating. That's why I I should be able to do anything to feed my family. That on its is a moral good, you know? But like, like if you, I, I think like these arguments are always, they're interesting to me because they already come with a with a a lawyer a lawyer spin on them where they only allow you to look at it in one way right your freedom your freedom to do whatever you want obviously has the ability and most of the time the consequence of impending on the freedom of someone else right your actions are not happening in a vacuum so it's not like ultimate freedom is just flying around everywhere if i say i have the freedom to do whatever i want that means i can take this car if i want to i can kill that guy if i want to i can sleep with that gal if i want to like there's consequences all attached to that which means that the freedom that someone else was enjoying is now impinged upon because of my freedom right and there's no if there's no moral good then that's fine then there's nothing good or bad about it it just is yeah right and and i think that was one of the points they um they brought up and said uh, in his message mercy not sacrifice tim keller talks about two atheists he knows who aren't married and are fuming over their sing- singleness not just distressed they're mad they've told him that others who aren't as good kind thoughtful etc as they are have spouses and they feel that that is so unfair Unfair? How do you get unfair from life if you're an atheist? Go back to Dawkins' quote and tell me where fair is. Like that's the thing. There's not a fair. There's not like a a sense of what is good, what is not good. And like even even as societies like ignore a religious context, political societies or countries or whatever, like you're wrestling with some notion of like here's the fairness that we agree to at a time. We agreed fairness in uh, 1780 was that people of a certain skin color were two-thirds of a person. And so, like, what people agreed to at any given time is not really a good assessment as to what is fair. But we, ba- but we base a lot of our our modern thought on that. Like, that, that's why we believe we've evolved from things because of our, what we poorly judged as morality two hundred years ago. We're like, well, we're past that now. As we continue to poorly judge, like the situations that we're in now, like we we swing the other way completely. Where now we say, okay, well, if a if a forty year old man falls in love with a nine-year-old girl, well, that should be his freedom. 
Right. Right. That should be morally acceptable because we've evolved past the point of trying to call balls and strikes on the way that people feel about things. Which is so interesting because, like, one of the uh, values or virtues of the uh, American system is that, like, we've provided a very um, – it's built in that there are ways to correct our errancy, right? That you can – the people can vote and we can rethink and we can reapply and that the Constitution can be amended and changed, right? That's part of its brilliance. But at that core, it, it's an admission that we are errant, that at any moment in time, even as a majority society, we get our morality wrong. Like we we miss it. We we give the vote. We take the vote, right? Like we we say, oh, well, these people can cast the vote. We like think of the things that we've amended is a value to the system, but it doesn't support our trust in humans as a whole to say in general we get things right. Even though I think there's a there's a basic image of God thing that like a lot of the morals bend towards. Hey, we probably shouldn't kill other people. Um, Although you'll argue over what's a what's a person or not, and so it's just it's interesting um, I, the the hopelessness that should exist in a world without a moral right. Now that that actually doesn't even argue for Yahweh. That just argues for a moral right. It doesn't have to be the God of the Bible. It doesn't have to be the God that we describe. Um, but like it, it does present a situation where like it's it just simply isn't it isn't right to look out of the world if you have no moral belief system or one that's personal to you um and to claim anything is unfair hey as a matter of fact take a group of people and go hey that guy didn't pay they're not paying their fair share of taxes again <laughs> like what do we mean what makes it fair not fair like your your opinion you same person to your to your early example mike would go it's not fair that my neighbor has more than me well i mean there's all kinds of rational ways to justify. Maybe your neighbor worked for it. Maybe you didn't do anything. But your view of fair or not fair isn't based on anything except for the thing that you're feeling at the moment. Yeah, I, I guess I, I wouldn't um, – I don't know that I would agree. Once again, I don't know that atheism is as huge of a problem uh, as I thought it would be. Even – I was just talking to a guy at work the other day. Like it would just – it would knock me off my feet to find out that the man is not an atheist. Mm. Right? Like he agreed to – he's like, yeah, I believe in a higher power and he believes that – it's it's not not what I believe, right? But like the fact that like uh, he even would take that on as a as a thought process in his life it just surprised me anyway. Yeah. But um, I, I I really feel like most of the time when I find folks that have said, well, I don't have a relationship with God or I don't really believe God does this, like it, they're just they believed one lie somewhere, and honestly, they never actually tried following Jesus. They never actually did it. Like they. They heard the thought of it, or they were, the rules were impressed upon them, and what what they thought were restraints um, were tickets to freedom. But they saw them as restraints, yeah. and then they went out and they like they lived life however they wanted, and they said, "I will never go back to those restraints." I'll tell you that, even as the choices that they're making continue to bury them, uh, and it has no outpouring of joy or peace. Um, but they're like, "Well." This is still better than the constraints that I was either I grew up with or I thought that came with a life from following Christ. And like it just feels like you never actually knew him. Like you may have known like a church structure or you may have believed a a lie from your grandma or something. Like something along the line convinced you that God was not offering you freedom from both sin and uh like the the, the tougher parts of being a human. You know, like you thought it was a, a rule-based thing to try to show that you were good enough. And like you feel like we, we've nailed this in every sermon ever taught, that that's not the deal, but is really the set of cards that a lot of people are working from. Yeah, it's interesting to think about uh, like how many 
folk. I think to your point, like there's a difference between like how many people are running into who are like staunchly atheists versus people who would claim a belief in a god that is of no particular consequence to their life. Yes, yeah, and and like I, actually, to the the lady that married the the preacher, this is a great example, right? Like this also seems to be a societal change where your feelings get to be more of the reality than actually the situation, right? Because if you were to, if you were to, to to take a higher level view of what happened to that gal, is it terrible? Yes. Should it not have happened? No, it definitely should not have happened. But at the end of the day, a valuable jerk store man, like treated you very poorly. God didn't do any of that, right? A guy that claimed to represent the teachings and the the ways of living uh, that were handed down through Jesus Christ obviously did not believe in that, and he did whatever he wanted. And so, like, you get to be upset about it, you get to have your life shaken and broken by it, but, like, it I, I guess I don't understand. Like you had, if you had this relationship with God or believed in the things at all in the first place, it is the thing that rides you through those situations, not the thing that falls as a casualty of poor human behavior, which is which is flat out like told throughout the Bible. Like the humans' tendencies to not trust God and trust their own ways and continue on paths that that will otherwise destroy them. That God begged them not to do for all the reasons that He offered His freedom for, and they will continue to do them. And then you're like, well. I knew this pastor, and he was a jerk, and he was mean to me, and he cheated on me, and he ruined my life. Now, yeah, he was part of some very bad events that happened to you, but at the end of the day, when your life is in the hands of the Savior, that guy just gets to move off to the wayside. Okay, that bad thing happened, and it did happen, but like, it doesn't get to ruin the rest of my life. That guy don't hold that much power. Right, right. Hmm. I find that, that I think that happens a lot. Like, I think we've moved uh, feelings into the number one position, and reality matters not as much, right? And that's really hard, especially in the, the day and age that we grow up in. Like, try walking up to a, to a woman who's been cheated on and say, look, that's terrible, and I agree it's terrible, but, like, we, I mean, we can't donate the rest of our life to this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, it, it happens. Sin happens. You know it happens. Earthly consequences are, you're, maybe you're not married to that guy anymore. Maybe you are. But, like, either way... Like, it doesn't get to color the rest of your life as terrible. And, like, I think we talk about trauma a lot, and, like, some of it is it are things that will shape your life in a certain way. But, like, I don't know that – like, we've, we're more leaning on the side of letting it define your life. And, and I think your Savior gets to define that. And God always already says what you're worth and, and, and what he brings by following him through, through peace and joy. And, like, you're accepting none of it. Right, right. Uh, the, the article, one of the things it also said is that people, like where people are getting angry, um, C.S. Lewis spoke to this, um, the more you obey your conscience, the more your conscience will demand of you. And your natural self, which is thus being starved and hampered and worried at every turn, will get angrier and angrier. And so like it, it was kind of the, the thought around people get angry at God. Like part one, I suppose, like if you're left with a world of which there is no particular hope, like you got your direct your anger somewhere. Because, like, realistically, there's no individual person or situation to direct it at. So you chose God to to otherwise do it. But then you're also left with the moral burden of yourself. And this is why I think it's difficult to be someone who goes like, I believe in a higher power. Like, I feel like that would just be like nagging at me all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know enough about this. I get this nagging sense that like I'm probably not living up to it. 
uh, it's a genie who may help sometimes, and I'm comforted by that. But like, I'm also kind of it just feels like someone's on me, and and because this, there's no personal definition to this god, you don't know what it wants. It's it's as arbitrary and um, you know as as a as a Greek god or as a Roman it's god. Kind of terrifying. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just an unknown entity out there that's maybe watching me, maybe not, maybe cares, maybe doesn't, maybe it's going to squash me. I, I mean, like I, I yeah, yeah, if you don't know, I, I was. I don't know, some social media thing the other day, and you somehow, you know, you read something, you go on a goose chase, and you start reading comments. I don't know what started it, but all these people were talking about haunted houses in the area, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, my house is haunted, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, they were so nonchalant about, about like, I'm thinking, I mean, then you get into the whole, okay, I don't think it's a, a haunted thing, but it's like, they believe it's a ghost, you know, and it's like, you're just hanging out in your house, and you think there's a ghost? I mean, I mean it's like, I mean, doesn't that kind of bother you? Like, I mean... I don't. I don't know. The whole thing was kind of kind of wild to me. And then from my perspective, it was, well, that sounds like demonic to me, you know. And I'm thinking, so the, you're just hanging out in your house with demons? I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's Gerald. Don't worry about him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone said that they had a haunted cat, and I'm, I'm like, what? A haunted what? cat? Yeah, this cat shows up, but it's like a spirit. And I'm like. Anyway, yeah, yeah. You're reckoning with a lot of things in that situation. I mean, I believe in an afterlife. I believe in the the possibility that spirits don't pass on, and I also believe that cats have said spirits and have the opportunity to not pass on sometimes. And Whiskers is still here with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's yeah, there's this generic higher power power out there, spiritual world out there that 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 we're intersecting with once in a while. That would drive me insane if I didn't have some type of basis for that. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be. It would be a bit terrifying to even if you were open to it. It feels like um, it's going to upend your life, right? If like this, the kind of nebulous notional god that may or may not exist, like you can at least. It, I, I feel like it would nag at you, but you can dismiss it. But if you tried to embrace the reality of a god that you otherwise rejected as being real, like again, Jesus changes everything, and so to the extent that you ha- are open to that. It's a re-examination of of not only all the stuff that you've thought or believed in the past, but like what does your next year look like? What does it mean to the things that you've have taught or not taught your children? Like, I do think there's a there is an emotional barrier at times to reckon with a world that you've seen completely differently because then you have to re-reckon with your life choices and you know it doesn't need to feel that heavy, but like I I, I often think that there are people who have you know, lived life in such a way that like the way that they, they won't hear it. They won't hear yeah. that they've, they've lived it wrong or that they've seen it wrong because the consequence of, of coming to those terms is like a load. It's a load to rethink your relationships in, in light mm-hmm. of you being wrong. Do and you, I think it's hard. Do you yeah. realize the things that you have to believe about the afterworld to have these, these hauntings? Like, just think about it. <laughs> like in your, in your, <laughs> in your perception of this, like there is an afterlife and yes. like you have to go, okay, I don't know exactly how it happens. I'm going to assume that it's like Casper style. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's spirits with unfinished business Spirit here on earth, yeah. but it turns out their unfinished business is to shut a door every once in a while yeah. or maybe move <laughs> a plate, I feel better. Yeah. right? Or let the cat out. You didn't remember letting the cat out. It had to have been the ghost, right? Like the unfinished business that kept this thing from moving on to its final resting place was small irritations at your place. <laughs> like that doesn't make a lick of sense. Now, unless – is it possible that that is part of the uh, Satan is bound work of Jesus on the cross? 
That what? He used to be able to do more. <laughs> and so now Satan can only close your cupboards? <laughs> the you demonic have... activity is very restrained. So we've got the deceiver is here. I know I shut that cupboard. <laughs> you know, we, we had a, a gal show up to one of our prayer rooms once who, who had some definite demonic activity going on and, and was describing things happening. And, and it was like clearly, clearly demonic. And, and she definitely... The fear in her eyes told us uh, she was seeing things in the room when we were there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so we knew we, this was real. And we, we were, you know we were reading scripture, we were talking, and, and, and all she really the, the the key thing is like, okay, you want this gone, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, she was doing some things that that would open doors, yeah, to, to the spiritual world. But like, you probably need to close these 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 doors. You, you know, you need to get some Jesus going on here. Hey, just just curious, Dan, can you are you able to share like what types of things? Uh, things like uh, um, she'd be alone in the night, and like the music would turn on. Uh, there would be an, uh, in the couch next to her, like like the the seat would actually push down, uh-huh. and, and like she could feel the presence. Okay. Um, uh, same as in her bed, uh, uh, um, doors opening. I mean, I mean, thing, things that were. Yep. You, you know, what types of things was she doing that you felt like were opening doors? Uh, there, there were drugs uh, and sexual things, uh-huh. um, and, and that's really, I mean, okay, just yeah, a, yeah. an outright rebel, uh, rebellion yep. type, type of thing. I know God, but I, I, and I used to love God, but I, you know, and I got a different okay, thing now. Gotcha. And and we were explaining that you know you, you really need to clean the house. You know, as Jesus said, if we're gonna if we're gonna cast these demons out. You know, they're just gonna come back. I yeah. mean, you know, you you've got. To, are you ready to make a change? Like, well, no, I'm not really ready to do that. Like, uh so, yeah, so no, no change then. No, no, we probably were it. in there an hour and a half at least, and she finally, she actually threw up and ran out and never saw her again. I mean, it, she, it was, she, she couldn't, she could, she couldn't handle it anymore uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. in in the room there. Um, mm. Pretty intense uh, time. But you know, you think you see these spiritual things going on, yep. uh, and it was clearly fearful to her. Yes. Um, so that would seem a right reaction to spiritual things to me, right? Like it seems odd. That it gets to be like, oh, yeah, my house is haunted. And you're just like nonchalant, like, it's fine. You know, every once in a while, I think I see a shadow of whatever. And you're like, you, I don't think people ever process the whole thing that they have to believe to make true the things that are coming out of their mouth. Right? Yeah. Like, yes, I believe in hauntings. But you're so nonchalant about it that you have zero control over this spiritual thing that appears to be living in your house, like do and but but like doing like low level irritation things. Most people are not talking about demon possession things. They're talking about like odd irritating stuff, like it moved my keys or something, you know, or like you know whatever the cat and and like for you to believe one that that is happening, you have to acknowledge that there's a spiritual life that you don't understand, and you need to try mm-hmm. to figure out why this is even allowed. Second of all, if it is even allowed, like it still has to have. It still has to have a reason for doing what it's doing, right? Like if there's got to be a, a thing that is that is orchestrating it. So like if if it didn't pass on to its final resting place, what is it even doing here? And and for its end result to be moving the dog bowl, yeah, right? Yeah. That like you can't you think about that for a couple seconds and go, this is utterly ridiculous. Or there's this whole thing that I'm just like. It's a house of cards on why I believe this even happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it yeah. sounds so ridiculous when you think about it. Now, the demonic thing and the spiritual world thing, like, the Bible speaks to this. Like, things that, that like, cause a fear or a complete anxiety within you. Or, like, you know, color the way that you look at life to the to the point that you don't see light in it. This makes sense. Like, this is a spiritual oppression, and the, and the Bible's clear on that, right? And it can actually do some legit damage. But, like, these these lazy... 
like spoon movers. I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can put this together in your mind and be like, I was on page 86, and when I woke up, it was on 114. That had to have been Myrtle. She was in here flipping through my book. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it sounds yeah. so dumb. It's funny how, like, some of the reports of, like, evil spiritual activity, demonic activity in the United States is so, like, blase and lazy and then, again, other parts of the world, you go to the Haiti, the Dominican Republic, parts of Africa, parts of Asia, and, like, these are actual, like, things that you would more expect. Yeah. Oh, I was going to share this with you guys, and I don't think I ever did. Like, it was recently in Minnesota, um, it was a library. They, they held a demon summoning ceremony. So well, who did the did church it, or the I, demon I work. summoner? Some, some group was at the library, as, at a public library. I, I'll have to find that and send it. But, but I mean, the uh, public library does so a lot of public s- programs. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, they they think we're just not we're, we we could be more friendly to the demons, and we, we just don't understand. Oh, them. for heaven's sake! And, and I thought we're going to see more and more stuff that 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 we've been discounting as probably not real, or you know, we're just going to see more and more stuff. Yeah, just imagine going to a up. library and seeing a, like a flyer up on the car, like the 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 wall that says "Come on out and be a part of the Sons of Beelzebul." <laughs> It God. does, like, once again, like, what's the the story? The sons of uh, Squass. Yeah, Skivas. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Oh, yeah, Squass. Right? Where they, where they like, they thresh these dudes like freaking wheat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, like, if you think, like, in my mind, I'm like, they find us so unthreatening that, like, there's no threshing. There's not even needed. Right? They're like, they're destroying themselves. Why would I even have to thresh anybody? Right? They're willing to go to a library and, and like, have a, a friend's outreach program for demons, and they're like, oh, we got no examples to make here. These ones already belong to us. They're yeah. idiots. <laughs> and so, like, it seems like like some of the spiritual things that we talk about that happen in other parts of the world and don't tend to happen uh, much in the United States uh, or Western culture, like, it's for the same reason that, like, it feels like Jesus says you, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, because the rest of them are wasted on you. Yeah. They're, the rest, the, there's parts of the world where they're fighting a war. We're paying laser tag. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what's happening. Yeah, because like, like people are always begging. They're like, if God would just show up, if God would just show up, if God would just show up. And like Jesus speaks to this. He's like, I could totally show up. Yeah. And it would not mean a lick yeah. to you. You'll yeah. still miss it. It would not yeah. change a thing in your estimation. Even if like you're trying to trick me. You're like basically trying to peer pressure the Lord into going, if you do this thing, then I will totally believe. And God goes, yeah, I hear you saying that. You don't actually believe that because you won't. Because I know these things, and that and that goes to to Dan's point on the story of the of the prayer room is that like this this person believed that demonic activity was real, confident, like yeah. what, like knew it, like yeah. you knew, it and, and but when faced with here's what it means to otherwise to get this to go away, and you go nope. Um, yeah. I, what, what other sign do you need? Like you're seeing the things you can tell, you can feel it in the room. You can tell that there's something going on when people are praying for you, and like you got everything you need. And she goes, "No, I don't want to give yeah. that stuff up yet." And it was one of those deals where, uh, you know, obviously I'm pretty skeptical of the whole thing. I thought, yeah. okay, you can pick up all this stuff from the average movie, sure. You, you know, and at some point there were two or three of us where look, we, something happened. I don't remember now. It's been long enough ago. Yeah. We're like, okay, this is the real deal, right? I mean, there was there was terror uh, at a certain moment when before before she ran. Yep. Um, and it's like, okay, this was there was something behind us going on that we couldn't see. Yep. And anyway, yeah, yeah. And by the way, that was a, an art center or an art. Whatever, not a oh, not a library, not a library. Okay. Yeah, a big difference. Oh, that's better. Yeah, okay. yeah. 
Yeah, that makes more sense. You're listening to Live from the Path. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. I don't even remember what we're talking about. Today. Well, so we started talking about uh, <laughs> demons. Uh, no, the uh, the thing people were um, brought us astray. The key problem of uh, an atheist. Like what their core thing is. Their key problem was demons. And then we got yep. into we got into demons at the <laughs> library. Like the like the plot of Ghostbusters one, really. Yeah. <laughs> demons at the library. <laughs> uh hey, there was another article I saw. So Buva's got some uh Ask the Pastor on Proverbs. We're gonna get to that here in just a second. I this was interesting. I, Dan, I think you, you probably saw this because I think we've got some mutual friends who would have shared this. But there was uh, an article that came out by Bob Russell. Oh, yeah. Bob Russell was a, um, a pastor. I, I love Bob Russell. Uh-huh. I think he's a, he's a great fella. But he, he produced a, a post and it says uh, it was about when the church endorses drinking. And so he says a recent invitation to a church's small group was titled Bible and Beer. Another church group invited members to join them for a tour of Kentucky's Bourbon Trail. These invitations for church-sponsored activities illustrate the dramatic shift that has occurred toward the use of alcohol since I started in ministry 60 years ago. Now, I'll be honest with you, this has the this has the, a bit of the flame like the one we talked about last week. It feels a little bit like, oh, here's the challenges or here's the thing that was true 30 years ago. People yeah. used to keep keep gin in their cupboard, yeah. and that was it. I want you to I want you to hear Bob out and remind me that uh, that I like I will. He's awesome. He's a he's an excellent fellow. <laughs> However, uh, here's his description. Sixty years ago, it was customary to see a sign over a liquor store that read, Closed Election Day. Most state governments maintain a prohibitionary ban requiring liquor stores to be closed during polling hours, uh, blah, blah, blah. They know drinking numbed the mind and people needed to vote with a clear head. Sixty years ago, it was illegal to sell alcohol anywhere on Sunday. In most states today, the sacredness of the Lord's Day is completely ignored and alcohol flows freely the entire weekend. Sixty years ago, most secular colleges and almost all church-related schools had rules against drinking. Now, authorities ignore the problem, and the label of party school is considered an asset to recruiting. For the past 60 years, the University of Kentucky had prohibited the sale of alcoholic beverages at football games. Uh, it has been under consideration, considerable pressure really to lift this ban as being too restrictive. Sixty years ago, it was considered improper for a woman to be seen drinking in public. But at sporting events today, it is not unusual to see a young woman climbing up the arena steps with a beer in each hand. Sixty years ago, it was inappropriate for public school teachers to drink. In fact, the public consumption of alcohol was considered grounds for termination. Yet today, there's often an open bar at educators' conventions. Sixty years ago, most pastors preached against alcohol consumption and pleaded for church members to abstain totally. Unfortunately, in their zeal, some erroneously insisted the Bible forbids alcohol, often quoting Proverbs, uh, blah, 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 while ignoring passages like Psalm 104, which was wine gladdens human hearts. Today, in contrast, the pendulum has been swung so far in the opposite direction that many pastors and church officials themselves are comfortable with being social drinkers. Alcohol is served at wedding receptions inside church facilities, and church groups serve alcohol during Bible studies. Church policies against staff consumption of alcohol are winked at or repealed. If someone expresses disagreement with the church's weakened stance, they are flippantly dismissed as too legalistic. Why has the attitude toward drinking changed so drastically? I guess, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, what's what's shifted here? Because that, that is a significant – the question, like, it's a societal shift for sure. Right. How much of that is the church shift is maybe a, maybe the same question, maybe not the same question. I'm not sure. Because, like, the question is how much of that was actually driven by biblical standard versus just things that are shifting in the society as a whole. But I don't know. Dan, do you have a thought about why that has shifted? Uh, I can say I was in the transition period uh, because I was I was I can I can I know exactly what he's talking about. I remember uh, alcohol not on Sundays. I remember I mean, like mm-hmm. there was like a, uh, it was covered in the in the grocery in the stores. It wasn't even in the grocery stores, right? But, oh but, wow! I mean, it was like yeah, you just didn't. You couldn't uh, do it. it yep, not allowed. 
Um, and and it was definitely in the church a huge taboo. I mean, I mean, yep. yeah, no, no smoking, no drinking, uh, no dancing, and no cars. dancing. <laughs> Were uh, you in Footloose? <laughs> Footloose was real, <laughs> right? Yep. And, and it was really my generation kind of came going, but it's not really what it says, right? You know, in in the scripture, right? And, and so I'd be like, I mean, it just says don't get drunk. It doesn't say you can't. But but usually, you know, we we kind of kept with. However, uh, there may be people in our congregation that that uh, struggle with alcoholism, and for them to see me with one gives them permission personally to have twelve. Yeah, you know. You know. Yep. Uh, so I, I went a good twenty, thirty years not touching an ounce of anything, yep. um, and um, then kind of finally softened a little bit because because biblically. You know, it, it, well, like I said, it just says don't get drunk. Yes. You, you don't. Um, right. Uh, there's just there's no wisdom in it. Um, yes. Yep. Um, he says some pastors um, justify the change in attitude to being more spiritually mature today than church leaders of 60 years ago. I think that's wrong. If anybody who says that is is that's yeah. dumb. Yeah. Um, I, there's no reason to claim a, a maturity. I like there's a there's a there's a good to Dan's point. There's a good caution in it. There's yeah. a recognition of how your behavior impacts other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I all things that feel legalistic. Um, I think probably can be done for good intent, and and in some cases are perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the question is like, did you become someone's jailer on the on the process? So yeah, I, I wouldn't. I think that would be wrong if that's their perception. Um, but he provided – so here's his follow-up though. He said, um, because I follow the principle of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent, and that's where you end up with people who do non-instrumental. Right. So it's a little bit strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not make alcohol consumption a test of fellowship. However, I'm not convinced that today's church leaders' more liberal approach toward drinking is a positive change. Now here's his examples. For instance, one well-known pastor recently excused his moral indiscretion on the grounds he had a little too much to drink at a church party. It's not an alcohol problem. I mean, it is right, but like the fact that you would find that justifiable is less of an alcohol problem. It's more of like it's a hard issue. Like you shouldn't be leading people if 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 you believe that is a viable excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not you leading anymore. Yeah, right. Like I mean, by the time that you're you're drunk, uh, you're not firing on your on your capacity anymore, right? Like it is almost a different version of you that's that's speaking. Yeah. And also the alcohol just I think it just loosens lips. Like it, it doesn't come up with new thoughts or new actions. It just it lowers inhibitions to do it's things that you were already intending to do yeah. or were 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 stopped doing in the presence of clear mind, yeah. but when, you know, you you're in the presence of that kind of alcohol, it, it like yeah. I said lowers those inhibitions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, at another church, one member complained that an elder regularly served communion while under the influence. Who, what? Who's this drunk fella? <laughs> That's a Sunday morning drunkard? <laughs> like, again, this guy's next level. Also, what is under the influence? Like, I had, I mean, I really don't care. It's still pretty rough in, in any situation, but having a beer and going to church is different than I was at the bar all night, am still drunk from it, and now I'm serving communion. Maybe this... they were smelling cheap cologne and assumed they've been drinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you mean, smell like brute. God straight up <laughs> killed a couple people for offering unauthorized fire. Like still fire to the Lord, but not the fire that he had asked for. While drinking. Why right and then these fellas, like I don't know how that doesn't come out to be like astronomically terrible. Right? Like you're basically filling a Levitical role here, serving this communion, and you've not even tried. 
right? You didn't even show up to try to take on the responsibility that the church has given you. Yeah, the, the, the elder regularly served communion. I, why is he still serving communion? This, this should, should have happened one time and said, yeah. Earl, we love you. You're no longer allowed to do the communion. Yeah. Um, so these examples, I think these are terrible examples, to be honest with you. Like, they're, I, I, like they, they're one-off situations of which someone should have dealt with. The guy shouldn't be leading a church right. anymore. I, I actually don't care that he I, – I mean, I care that he had a little too much to drink. I don't know what his indiscretion was. If it's as bad as what I think they're meaning, then he shouldn't – Yeah, here's the thing. There's, yeah, that's there's, the reason. Like yeah. you look at it and say, like the guy made an offhanded comment, right, or whatever at a at a church function, and like, but he made five other decisions that put him in that situation, yeah. right? And so, like, can I can I if someone says, "Hey, man, I was drinking a little too much, and I said this stuff, or I did this thing," I'm like, "Yeah, I get it. Like, I get how that happened." Um, but you also made five other supporting decisions that put you in that situation, yeah. and so this was not a failure, right? On on the amount that you drank. Right, like one, you overdrank at a church function. That was foolish. Right. Second of all, you put yourself in close proximity to another woman that ain't your wife while you were drunk at a church function, which you should like. It's a cascading level of poor decisions, which means that yeah. you weren't leading with the joy that God had offered you. You were leading with your attempt to grab something for yourself. Right, see, this That's was what a pastor, happened. right? It wasn't yeah. the church leader, right? So, I mean, you can even go a step beyond that and just go, how many jobs? are out there where they say it's okay to drink before going to work. Yeah. He was working. He's the pastor. Yeah. I mean, right. everybody else was there as, yeah, hey, church function. He's like, dude, I don't care. Yeah, it's pretty much still bartender, the and then that's it. Like yeah. that's that's pretty <laughs> and much. And even the, the bartender's got to keep it tight, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Right. You got to you got to take one shot of alcohol, and then the next five times somebody buys you a drink, you take a shot of water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just like these feel. I, I, there's a danger in it. There's totally a danger in it, and like. Uh, moderation is uh, super important, and like there's some people who shouldn't do it at all, and uh, you have to be discerning about it. But like, I actually don't see how this is significantly different in some ways than uh, the the number of pies you ate. <laughs> like, like it, either one of those things is capable of causing you physical <laughs> harm. Yeah, I'm sorry, I touched that woman on the hind. I was all jacked up on peach pie. <laughs> the blueberries got to me. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, we've had some mega mega pastor guys who who kind of went down because of the alcohol. Yeah, you, you, you know, and, and it they couldn't stop. They they were running. That's part of the symptom. There is you're running to alcohol rather than to God. Yes, and and, and so there's some other things, but but nonetheless, you are you're running to alcohol, which which hinders your ability to think. The better, thing is, is it know? owns you. That's the problem, yeah. right? Like it was there as it's given to you as a gift. And like it's not like God is unaware of the effects of wine on people. Yeah. Right? Like he's totally aware of this. And so like, but when it starts to own you, when it starts to be the thing that's making your decisions for you, decisions that like you wouldn't normally make without it, then it's not adding to you, it's driving. It's running the car. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem. That's and, and what the we're the pies won't do that. It, it it'll still true. it'll run you, but it Sometimes. won't. <laughs> it just depends on who you is. It's just if you're diabetic, it's sometimes it's, <laughs> those peach pies will get you. Yeah. Hey, baby. I, 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 I got another piece of pie. I do think this made me think about a conversation we had recently um, when we were talking about spiritual disciplines in that, like, there is a I, – I think I want both. I want to be able to fight for um, – non-legalism like don't don't set 10 fences in front of something like the churches frankly has always been involved they've been involved in alcohol consumption uh jesus was a wine producer <laughs> like i like don't we, we over crank on that one but like it just in general like they weren't afraid of alcohol and frankly like oftentimes 
uh, again, you take Middle Ages, the church is producing alcohol because it's safer to drink than the water. Yep. And so, like, I, I like, I just want to be careful that we don't – you don't overcrank on it. But even if you didn't – like, even if it was okay to do it, uh, just like even if you don't have to read your Bible every day, it doesn't mean that there isn't, like, total wisdom in one abstaining uh, or to, like, doing the disciplines every day because you want to, because you're you're conscious about it, because there's a thoughtfulness around it, like – I just like personally, I'll say I, I didn't. Um, I, I don't like I don't like the way alcohol impacts people that I love, uh, and not even just because like sometimes because people are like just flat out stupid. But I'm frank, they're just different people. I don't like interacting with people who I know very well, and then like when I can tell that they're not the same person, it just makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, who am I dealing with here? I don't even know if I like this person, even if they're not like belligerent drunks. And so like, I, I like I, I have no idea what it feels like to be drunk. Like I've not ever tried. Uh, well, maybe I tried once. I couldn't even do it. <laughs> like, I don't even like. I don't like this good enough. But like, uh, <laughs> but like, but but then again, like there are some I had. Okay, I'm telling a quick diversion story. I was up in Minneapolis for work, and it was like snowing outside. It's cold as nothing, and like the only place that was open because this was like in the middle of COVID. There was some sort of like German bar open, and so I went there, and I think I ordered schnitzel or something, and they had this like apple cider, hot brandy. And that was the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. Like on a cold night, that I mean will warm your this bones. It was delicious. It was. It was. Fa- I was. It was. Wor- okay, uh, my boss don't listen. It was work money. I thought like everyone buys booze. I don't, but I thought, heck, man, I'll try this thing. And like, I you don't drink two of them, but like I probably drank half the glass. But it was great. <laughs> it was really good. And so I thought like like. Is there a way to do this well? Yes, probably. And so, like, I, I'm I'm less concerned about the two examples he gave, but I did think this is where I like I, I know what he's trying to protect. He said uh, at the end of the article, he goes, you know, I made the decision to just abstain, and I've never missed out on anything. And I I get that it's not a one to one comparison, but like, yeah. you really could say the same thing about the peach pie. You could go, look, yeah. I just abstained. What did I really miss out? A few peach pies in here. Like, you could pick all those things and lead a very like non-leavened bread way for life and it's probably god honoring but i'm not sure it's necessary and that there's no like I, it's not it's not holy necessarily it just is something and i don't care if that's your choice but i don't know but what are you gonna say so um i made the decision alongside my wife um four years ago mm-hmm. that i was gonna quit drinking and so i'd never had a, an alcohol problem systemically like i never had a really big like there have been times when i've been drunk and i've gotten drunk through depression and have been at parties done stupid stuff whatever um but it was never really an issue with me as much as peach pies are admittedly yeah um but we had a conversation where before my wife and i got engaged um she said you know i have one thing that i want you to do and i want you to stop drinking because every once in a while, like when I was smoking a cigar or when I was like smoking a pork shoulder or something, I'd have a glass of whiskey or Wait bourbon. Minute. Just to be clear, those the definitions <laughs> of smoking are too different in that situation. Yeah, no, I rolled up a whole pork shoulder in Cuban leaves and I would smoke the thing and it tasted delicious. Tell the AI to create that, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so smoking it, in both situations, smoking a cigar or a pork shoulder. Same. Um, same, same smoking. <laughs> verb is the same. Yeah. Um, I would have a glass of bourbon or something. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I wouldn't drink a bottle of bourbon. I would literally have a small rocks glass with like two fingers of bourbon. And that yeah. was literally the extent of it. Uh, but she had brought up to me that like she had seen atrocities 
at the hands of alcohol Mm -hmm. and her time in Africa where she saw families ripped apart by it. Mm -hmm. And in third world countries where it's like, I mean, same as here, there are plenty of situations where families are, I mean, destroyed because of alcoholism. My family was was very hurt by alcoholism. Like my mother was an alcoholic from the time that I mean her whole life, but as as far as back as I remember as being like nine years old when I really found out about it, and it ruined. I mean, literally led to her uh, essentially. Well, it led to her suicide. I'm a firm believer in that, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so yeah. she had asked me uh, as saying that this is not something that I feel is a problem where like it's a sin issue between God and I, or it's a it's a problem between Gian and I where we like. I was getting drunk or anything like that. It was literally just a situation where, like, we recognized the potential yep. of of how awful that can be, and so we both made this. Like, she has never touched alcohol in her life, yeah, and I have not done so in in about four years now. Um, actually, I take that back. She ordered a nojito recently from mm-hmm. a place, yeah, and they they did not hear her correctly, so they brought her a full full strength. A mojito. Oh yeah, and she took a sip of it and went, "Why does this burn me? Like, why? Why <laughs> does? Why does this hurt? It's and a minty she, fire." And she gave it to the person that was with her, and they go, "Yeah, it's this great." And they go, and she goes, "Oh, it's obviously alcohol." Then, like, <laughs> so she's tasted alcohol now at the at the hands of Ruby Tuesday, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, I knew it. And he, yeah, right, exactly. But it, the, the fact of the matter was, is it was not, it, it, like you said, it was not a situation where it was a sin-natured thing. It wasn't a situation where it was like a holiness problem between God and I, but it was recognizing the potential that I have as a very highly addictive personality. Um, I tend to run to substances before I run to my God. It was just, it was an unnecessary thing that I was allowing, and I, I went, absolutely, that's fine. I'll never drink the rest of my life, and, and and that's a thing. And so it's just, it's interesting because, like, with this piece, there's a legalistic nature to taking it in. There's a way to look at it that's biblical where it says, you know, wine was a thing in that culture. People drank it all the time. It wasn't a problem. There's a level where it could become a problem, and that's that's where we need to steer clear of. But there's also a perspective of, like, if there's a situation where you think that there's any possibility of not being able to handle it, like you could be legalistic and it doesn't have to be a thing where it's like, this is how I define God's you know, instruction, but it can certainly be a way that you define yourself to make certain that you're putting up certain fences to cover. Like me, I stay away from as many food situations as possible because I know it can be a problem because yeah. I will spiral and run away from God, God and run to them as my master. Yeah. It's not a sin as it was. I mean, obviously, God made us running on food. And so, like, we have to have it. But there's a level that you can go too far with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think, like, um, and it, it's just such a hard this, – the Spirit's got to guide this kind of thing. I, it's just contextually I, – I would be cautious if you're like, hey, let's do the Bible and bourbon because people need to know that God's cool. Yeah, that's weird. God's cool. And, like – I sh- I may not even care whether you sip a bourbon and read the scriptures at night, but like there is a difference in like, hey, am I trying to attract people to God uh, by the things he's not more that there is no moral law for? Now they get, oh, well, God's kind of cool. Maybe I'll be open to he- <laughs> him being Lord of my life. Like I-, I I guess I'd be cautious if that is how you're thinking about it, mm-hmm. not because it's not even not even not true. <laughs> it's just that like I-, I don't I don't know. I don't like that mm-hmm. now. I don't like it. To bring in something that may mean nothing here, but nothing. like just because it's, I'm interested in thoughts on this. Alcohol was a very different thing back then. Like they didn't have distilling, 
They didn't have like alcohol that was like 35% alcohol by volume. It's like 6 to 8% fermented grapes that get wine. And so like it took a lot more alcohol back then than it does now mm-hmm. to get to a drunken perspective. You would have to really be hitting wine constantly over and over again to really get to that point. And to your point also, like for a while, mead became a thing because it was seriously the, the cleanest thing to drink mm-hmm. because alcohol, I mean, through that fermentation process, it was cleaned. Is there any perspective of like we take we take the thought that like alcohol was okay in the Bible, so it's good now, very differently because if you're drinking a glass of vodka, it is a very different thing than you drinking a glass of wine. You'll get hammered on a glass of vodka. A glass of wine will get you like, okay, I feel something because there's literally a chemical poison in my body right now, but it's not that big of a deal. Like, is that any part of this conversation, or am I just being a nerd? Bring it no, up. no, no. I think there is a relevance to that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's um, um, because the, one, th- think of it this way. Think of the wedding at Cana, right? Mm-hmm. What yep. is the highlight? The festivities or the booze? The booze supports the festivities, right? But not the, the festivities is the deal. What's freaking vodka? It's booze. It's booze yeah, right. forward. Yeah. You're it's, saying I want a vodka. <laughs> it's booze forward. <laughs> I was <Yes. laughs> going to the bars is not about the festivity. It's the fact that I can I'm, get access to an eleven dollar Crown Royal. Right. I'm here to drink alcohol. So, so like there is a noticeable difference between like bourbon and Bible as a group of dudes to try to attract people to get there, and like bourbon and Bible at your house by yourself as you wind down at nine thirty at night and you're like, I'm yeah. taking in the Colossians and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna drink this right. whatever. This is the full thing I do. Like I just don't have any problem with it. Like zero no. problem. And I, I think. I think this is where, like, you're ins- we're inserting the word legalism where it doesn't actually even belong. Mm. Like, we're not talking about legalism as it pertains to the Bible. You're right. talking about legalism as it pertains to the church you grew up in mm-hmm. or <laughs> or something, right? And he wasn't even legalistic about it. He didn't judge anybody who did it. No. But he was also a pastor of a church of, you know, 20,000 people, and it's like, i got 20,000 people looking at me if I'm— Posting on social media with me going, hey, Bible and bourbon, baby. You know, um, uh, he just wanted to stay away from that. I think the thing is, is like all that stuff is really hard because like Mm -hmm. in the right context, all these are beautiful gifts from God, right? And so like you could legalistically say, hey, I don't want to have sexual temptation. I won't ever leave the house. I'll just stay here all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and because that's basically the protection you'd have to have. You'd have to throw away your phone, your TV, any connection with the outside world because of like what God put together, like a sexual relationship. He's like, this is a gift to you. Right. And it's a great gift. And I want you to enjoy it. But you, there's a temptation to use it wrongly. Right. And so, like, the legalistic route, as it keeps getting thrown in there, is like, to abstain from the rest of the world because one small thing might happen and we don't live that way, right? And the same thing comes true with alcohol. It's like there's the the legalistic route of saying, look, uh, I won't ever touch it because it could possibly be a problem to me. I think that's pertinent and that's not legalism. That is just good decision making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah, it's not it's not like you're a, you're some kind of horrible law enforcer. You're just like, I don't know. It's the same reason that uh, like people don't do a lot of things. You know to say look that it just it might get me in some trouble and I'm just not interested in that. I like the thing that I have now or the thing that I'm striving for more than the thing that you're offering. I did the weigh and measure and Mike Pence says I don't go out to eat with women by myself. He did a weigh and measure. He's not a legalistic jerk. He's just a guy that said, I yeah. love my wife. I yeah, love my right. marriage, and I love the situation I'm in, and I just don't like any of this other stuff clouding yeah. it up. Yeah. And I think that's completely right, and there's just no – I don't. I guess what I'm trying to get at is it's, it's not legalism. Sometimes it's just good decision-making. Right.
Yeah. yeah. I don't do a Hardy's ministry because that would be a problem for me <laughs> where it may not be for you. Yeah. Yeah. Should we meet at the all you can eat breakfast buffet? Buva goes, no, you don't want, no. It's probably not a good place for me. I'm not going to meet you at the strip tortillas. club and I'm not going to go to the old country buffet yep. to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> I will go to the Hy-Vee salad bar though. Yes. I wish they would open that old country buffet back up again. Oh. I love it. Think yeah. about your relationship with food you don't and have how to. much you want that to happen. And then you look over here. And you think about how much I want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it better that I do it than you? Yes, agree. No, okay, I'm just then. saying, at the, le- <laughs> at the level of want. Done. <laughs> also, I like just to tie a bow on that, just realize that we're talking about this in a perspective of um, people who are leading other people in, in ministry, right? Like, that is a different conversation. It's not wholly different. It's not completely different than regular old Joe Schmo taking an alcohol. But, like, like if you if you have... A, like if you drink on a regular basis and it owns you, we're talking about you. This this is a problem. You're following it around. If you drink on a regular basis and it doesn't own you, no one's looking to put like Jesus guilt on you about that, right. right? Like you know whether it owns you or not. And on your better days, you'll be like, honestly, I think that might own me a little bit. Well, yeah, that's not what we're after. You're trying to get joy and peace from something that can't give it to you. And you've tried it the same way for years, and it continues not to work. And you're like, maybe this time. (laughs) And it just doesn't do it, and you know it. And so, like, once again, not legalism, just good decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after after not drinking for well over 20 years, uh, we introduced it into our home because our children were getting older, and I wanted them to see a balanced. Oh, gotcha. I didn't want to be like a taboo. We're scared of it because I wasn't scared of it. I just chose not to. Yeah, but they didn't know my. Re- you know, I just I wanted them to be able to see because you know I was obviously they were getting to the point where their friends were drinking and doing stuff and yeah. right. And uh, I'm sure it was offered to them and all that stuff. And it's just like I wanted them to see you can do it and and in a disciplined way. And yeah, just, and you control it. What are you drinking, Dan? Are you like are you beer, wine, just or beer guy, or yeah. liquor? Beer. Okay. I don't. I, I'm kind of ignorant, honestly, on this stuff. Like I don't. I don't know how to. I, it's easier to say I'll take a beer rather than you know. I don't know the names of stuff. Yeah, two fingers of Buffalo Trace. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually I was talking to another guy um, a couple weeks ago and said like I'm super cautious about not getting involved in in like fancy beers and yeah. drinks because like. I, I'm so the guy who will buy all the new things at the gas station. And do you know how long it's going to take to get through all these variants? <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I can't be involved in it. No, no, I have to do like I think I like this hot cider thing. I think I'm, I can do that. But uh, and whatever the Irish cream is, what's the Bailey's? Oh, that is delicious. That is, it's a you put that in things. You no, should, you, you should drink it straight. You drink Bailey's straight. Eight hundred pounds of glory. <laughs> anyway, sweet Moses. That's it. The stuff that, that tastes goes like- into Guinness for a buy Irish car bomb, man. That's crazy. Candy. Okay, you're listening to Life from the Path. Hey, what? I don't know. I, here's the thing. I think you could fall. Uh, there's not even two sides here, but you could fall on either side of that, and I could be like, "Yep, could be." Like, I, which I think is the which means yeah. you just take the whole thing incorrectly. Uh, take it in rightly. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. And so I, I just I, I would be cautious by by if you feel like personally you land so heavy on one thing, it's okay if it's true for you. Um, but don't overprescribe your personal context onto things that Jesus has said and that the Bible otherwise directs or doesn't direct. Um, it, your context may be different. And I and if you if you like we talked about last week, if you want the Bible to be a rule book, you're going to read it differently. Um, than taking it in for what it actually is, which does inc- include some moral guidelines, but is not the same thing as list of do's and don'ts. And so just read it in a healthy way. Right. You're listening to Life from the Path. Booba, you got to qu- ask the pastor. 
so in my Bible reading the last week, I have uh, uh, I finished Job, and because we talked about Job last week, and I made my way into Proverbs, and so. I am, I think I did 11 through 15 today because I'm doing about five chapters a day, which is a very interesting thing in Proverbs versus some other books. Because, like, if you're getting five chapters of a story, that's one thing. If you're getting five chapters of Proverbs, you've read roughly 285 sayings. Yes. And so I, I might have to I might have to revisit that as I continue through because I'm about halfway and it's just been like, okay, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm paying attention to this the way that I should be. But... A question popped in my head as I started reading through Proverbs of why is this here? Because I don't ask that question when I'm justifying any other book, like including Psalms and Ecclesiastes and and Songs of Solomon and stuff like that. Like I just don't find myself in a place where I'm going, why is this even here? Like you've got your history. You've got your identity pieces of who, who God is. You've got your pieces of what is the kingdom through Christ and what is living in the in the church and after Christ and, and, and that gets through the New Testament, things like that. The, I, but here I've got 31 chapters that are wise sayings and personifications of both wisdom and folly and then uh, some stuff at the end by Lemuel. And it, I'm just I'm just wondering – Knowing that that Solomon was at least the the curator of a lot of this uh, and the originator of a lot of it, knowing that Solomon prayed at the beginning of his reign for wisdom and very famously received a large amount of it uh, as he asked God for it and then does this piece. But why is it here in my Bible? What is it telling me from the perspective of like, what am I learning about the identity of my God through these sayings? Because there's a lot of them that do make sense about, you know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And um, it goes on to explain what the fear of the Lord is through practical nature. And then some that talk about how to be uh, not a sluggard in your daily dealings. And then some with how to handle accounts correctly or how to handle fault from a neighbor correctly. But like... If I'm thinking right now where I am, where what am I supposed to get from this as it pertains to my God? And then in the context of when it was written, when it was compiled, and when it was you know placed to be a, a, a book of sayings for for Israel, what were they getting from that? It was it meant to be just things to ponder? Was it another thing where it's like this is not necessarily a legalistic book of laws like the covenants that God set for His people, but Generally, hey, do you want to figure out some ways to be right and 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 good and wise? I, I think I think that um, this was um, Solomon. We'll say God putting out like tweetable tweets before Twitter was cool. <laughs> you know, short little clips, right? Or or <laughs> memes. You know, just think think of a picture in the background of a woman on a roof with a leaky faucet. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and it was just. <laughs> Little, I mean, why do we do memes today? Because it's just a com- little clever thing, and you like it sticks with you, and hope you know doesn't mean you've uh, maybe radically changed your life on it, but uh-huh. it might give you some direction and and some uh, wisdom, and and that's just a collection of all these um, memes that he had on uh, social media back in the uh, when was that around twenty five hundred? I don't even know. I haven't I haven't done my uh, dating lately. Yeah, right. Eleven hundred um, or no, even there's. Uh, Farther along than that, yeah. BC, yeah. 
So anyway, a while yeah. back. So it's it's uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's a first generation memes and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's essentially what they would have had sitting on their desk yeah. of the the cat hanging from the from the tree. Exactly. Or hang the little, in there, baby. <laughs> you read stuff today, and he'll say, he'll tweet this, you know, and, and or, what do they say now? Exit? I don't know. <laughs> and so, oh <laughs> uh, yeah. As oh. you as you know, well, it, it, this is why I'm asking the pastor. As it pertains to like, is this a similar book to like reading the prophets among the people like was this just passed as 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 like excerpts that someone would say or hey this is a wise saying of 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 Solomon in Proverbs like what how is this used practically by by Israel like what are they doing with these things yeah i think i think that is the right way to think about it and like I, like the, the 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 troublesome question is like some of these bits of wisdom you're like oh I don't know about that yeah it's, yeah. it's super interesting <laughs> some of them like no. I think there's a cultural thing there that I'm just not getting that don't seem right yeah. um and so I, here's here's actually let me tr- let me ask you a question back yeah please Jesus style why wouldn't it be in the Bible and that's I, I appreciate you asking that because that has been as I've thought about it the flip of it of of what am I and it actually goes back to the conversation we were just having of like what am how am I reading my Bible am I looking to it as a legalistic list of do's and don'ts mm-hmm. if I am then Proverbs feels really weird other than well if I am it, it makes a lot of sense because it's like well this is the extended do's and don'ts you've got the law and then you've got well make sure you're not a sluggard and make sure you're not all these yeah. things but like. If I'm not thinking of it that way, and I'm thinking about my Bible as an expression of the living word of God, as he uh, allows his identity to be shown through these books and through these writings and the living word, right? I, I, I struggle with that even more then, because like I just – I don't know how mm. to take these in. Okay. So um, a couple things to ponder. Um, I would actually one of the books you mentioned is even more difficult. Like, what is song of right? Song, what is song of songs doing? It's just like love poems, I, right? Is there anything in there that tells me something that I otherwise did not know factually? No, no, I don't think so. No, it's not. A, it's not a core piece of theology that you can tie back to nope. song of songs. However, um, there, it it upends how you think about God, like the character of God and how He sees His relationship with the world. Like it, it fulfills us something that like we would be it, – it feels scandalous to even think about mm-hmm. for God to relate to people in that way as a right. picture, right? And so it does – it tells me something, right? Yeah. So um, again, a Song of Songs, it's not, it's not a rule book at all. Like it's not telling me any – it's not saying do this, don't right. do this. Like uh, we like to go, oh, I'm supposed to delight in my wife's breasts. <laughs> okay, I mean go ahead. But like right. it's not a rule that says She's if you do not delight in them today, right. exactly, yes. it's a problem. So I also want you to think about um, – think now move to the Psalms and think about David's uh-huh. imprecatory prayers. When right. he's praying against, bash their heads on the rocks. Yes. Right. Is that the word of God saying what David said is correct? You should pray that people have their heads bashed on the rocks no. and their children killed and whatever. No. It's, it's – again, the Psalms – are not necessarily or not always a prescription on this is right. It is a reflection of things that David is praying. And his relationship to God. It's correct. And, and and oftentimes you'll see things that are happening. And this is where people that contest with the Bible sometimes contest with it wrong. There's plenty of things you want to haggle with God about. Go ahead. But sometimes they're like, it's in the Bible. I can't believe God affirmed that. I'm like, God didn't affirm that. It just exists. <laughs> right. It's, it's a thing that happened. Yeah. And so like – I, I am not uncomfortable at all looking at the Proverbs and going, God gave wisdom to this man. Yes, right. They collected the wisdom of this man. Yep. 
some of that wisdom, I, I don't have any particular reason to go, yes, God ordained that wisdom. Right. God ordained – it is collected. We do mm-hmm. have a vision of how Solomon sees the world. Some of the things, the way that Solomon is talking, you actually get some – you get some deeper wisdom by watching him, the things that you know that happen in his life. Right. That's and the what things that he said yes. that have nothing to do with the relationship with God necessarily. Yeah, right? right. Now, I also don't have a problem with practical wisdom being available in God's word. Are we yeah, not right, living – right. do I not have to live a human life? Do I not run into human circumstances and problems and things where like if another man who has gone through some of these things has wisdom in how it's – like what's our show is that? Now, we're not scripture. Right. right. But like you right. wouldn't – you would go, oh, well, it's interesting to hear how people facing these same types of things have gone through it just like it's interesting to see ways that David has done it without otherwise having to say it's God's prescription on how it is to be done. Right. And that's fair. And I think that that one of the pieces that I was trying to think through was we have I mean, there's there's accounts in I mean, Chronicles and Samuel and Kings that talk about books that are not a part of the Bible. Right. Like there there are are accounts of wars that are happening and kings that are going on and things like that that are talked about within biblical scripture, but are not considered to be a part of biblical scripture. And as I'm thinking about that, knowing that this is not the sole source of literature culturally or within the world at this time, as a matter of fact, it's a very small sampling of what actually was was either passed on oral history or was being written and compiled. Why is it that that something like this made its way into what essentially I'm going to call the final cut of the 66 books that we consider to be the holy scriptures of God mm-hmm. versus it being something along the lines of, oh, but did not, did Solomon not speak to that within his book of, of Proverbs or within the compilation of his wise sayings? Yeah. But then have it be an extra biblical thing that is a cultural um, and societal writing or compilation of sayings that exists that wouldn't be a part of of the holy text that we consider to be the the compiled Bible of the 66 books that we have. I, I don't know that it's a necessary distinction. And that's L- fair. R- right. Like, um, what do we have? Like, the, the the Torah, for what it is, is it's largely a historical document. Exactly, right. About God's interaction yep. with people. It tells me things about people. It takes, tells me things about God. That was not originally written down at Could, all. That's right, right. It's an oral history, right? Could yep. you chuck that off and say, or actually take First and Second Kings, First and 2 yep. Samuel, Samuel, right? Chronicles. Could you go, well, this, this is history of Israel stuff. Of course. Most yes. of it is. Um, you could go through the whole book of Samuel, and there's there's not actually a um, – there's there are very few things which you meditate on and go, this is for me. Right, right. Yes. These are battles. God, will you hand them over? Yes, he will. God, will you hand them over? <laughs> no, he won't. Yeah. Is this person selected by God? Great. Did they do something awful? Yes, they did. Right. It's a history that – so so it's interesting. So think of it like if you were to follow God's people around for a thousand years and every once in a while you took a Polaroid. Right? Right. Yes. It, right. It, it is a cataloging of an interaction between goddess and people of which we are made privy to. Um, do I this is this gets interesting. Is that like are some of the book of the Jewish wars or like the uh-huh. book of the what is Jasher or like whatever yeah, the other things them, yes. that are that are mentioned? Um, are we missing it? Should I think that my scriptures are incomplete because it's not there? No, no because I, I think, think so. Well, not because it may not be very, very similar to Second Chronicles. God did not make sure that that was retained. Right. I don't care. Yep. Right. I don't now, but but we shouldn't necessarily think that they are of a wholly different substance. That Book of Jasher may be the exact same thing as Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of God's interaction with His people, right. Largely through Jewish history. 
Oh, he he saved something. He made sure that the church had something as a reference. I don't feel like I'm missing something, but I also don't have any reason to believe that like those books are wholly different from a like as a thing that they're trying to solve. Right. Right. And so, but do I trust that God made sure that when uh we we look at something that has been codified and that mm-hmm. we're working with the same thing? Uh, do I trust that God handled that? Well, if I trust that he led the person to write right. it, the information to be retained, yep. then I trust that it's been codified in such a way that I don't I don't sweat it. Yeah. But I think we, we got to be cautious about overprescribing. It did did Second Chronicles fall from heaven? No. No. No, he had he had people remembered over hundreds of years and then a dude wrote it down. Yeah, there was a giant kingdom that okay. was that was keeping track of the things that was happening and as as the kingdom was being established through all of these battles and yep. all of these pieces that were were essentially coming from God's chosen family and people as he was revealing himself to the world and, and giving them his name to carry and his standard to walk with. Yeah. Yes, agree. So, so I think it's 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 actually a very interesting question because, like, you we should be able to probe that because what I'm saying, yep. my my life should be based upon this giant book, right? Uh, I think that's ultimately a little bit wrong way to frame it. Like, it, it is a revealing. It's a revealing of God's interaction with His people. It's a story of Him, mm-hmm. His creation, how He interacts with it. It's redemption. Not every story is a prescription on how you should behave. Not every story right. reflects humans in the way that they should. I'd say there's a good chunk of the stories that are in those history books that God is not even particularly condoning how people have behaved. Right. Right. But it is what happened. Yes. It reveals um, how people think. What I was thinking. Think about those the stories um, twice. Twice, someone took a vengeful act on David's behalf. Mm-hmm. I killed the guy who killed this guy, yep. right? right? Or like, or the guy. The, remember the second dude? He he. Uh, Saul says, "Kill me," and the guy does it. And then he tells David, and David, and David goes, "What were you, what were you thinking?" Yeah. And then he kills that guy. Yes, right. And you're like, well, I mean, Saul told <laughs> Saul told him to, and so like these are. Armor? No, not armor. But, killed but here's what happens, though. Like, you don't get the voice of God that shows up and sorts it out for you and go, you know, right. David was correct. He should have done that. Or like, like a Morgan Freeman narrator there. Right. Or David should have taken it easy on this guy. He was just doing what his king told him to. He doesn't show up in the narrative like that. No. And so if the Bible were like a prescriptive moral code in all the places that we're looking for, yep. it, I would have expected God to insert himself right, exactly. in places like – but he doesn't. And so it's weird because like if you're hearing me talk about this, I'm trying to make the case to you that scripture is not as easy as you think, but it's also not as complicated as you're going to try to make it be. Like, right. let it, it, it is what it is. It is a preserved codification of the interaction between God and his people and God and humanity as a whole over time that reveals things about him and about us. And, and you should accept it as that. But, like, anytime we try to box it in any further than that, I think you start to run risks. So let me ask you a bigger question then, if, if it's okay to do so. Because as I've tried to understand my Bible and I've tried to understand scriptures like Proverbs and, and like Song of Songs or Song of Solomon or whatever it is, um, I think one of the questions that I've always asked myself and I've, I thought was trying to be an, an astute studier mm-hmm. or, or being studious as I, as I go through and learn about my God has always been the question of where is Jesus in this text? Mm-hmm. And... Not necessarily from the perspective of like I don't see his name, but I should feel his hands here, right? Like I don't, I don't feel necessarily that far from it. But yep. like, 
as as I'm understanding the 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 larger narrative of my Bible of creation, fall, God redeeming people through a long woven story of a peoples that He decided to be His His bear His name, right? Then through lineage and I mean persecution and and exile and all these different moves, prophecy stories that that lead towards this Jesus that is the fulfilling of his his ultimate covenants all of the ones that he decided that he put upon us yep. and then this Jesus taking on all of the curses of each one of these covenants so that God can redeem the relationship with us and then how do we act as people in the kingdom after that redemption has happened mm-hmm. and after that 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 covenant has been fulfilled the curses have been taken on by Christ we were never actually subject to the consequences that <laughs> for generation upon generation God said you will be subject to these consequences how am I to take a book like Proverbs or Song of Songs, mm-hmm. and and am I even th- am I asking the right question in looking towards how is this leading me to God? How is this leading me to Jesus? A- am I asking that as a is that a wrong question to ask? Am I circling the right thought? Am I you know, you know yeah. many other things? Yeah, and then you feel free to jump in whenever you want. But but like I would say, um, not <laughs> I think we misunderstand scripture. If we're looking for salvation in every piece of it, fair, okay, um, and which is interesting because like I have the uh, I have the ESV Study Bible, and um, mm-hmm. it's got every, at every part of the introduction of every book, it's got history of salvation, um, oh. and so but they, they, it, it, it's it stretches, it's stretching on proverbs, it's stretching say, on song of song. Imagine, yeah, yeah. Um, here's what I think is true though. It's 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 cyclical in my mind, or or at least bidirectional. Um, people, I think, if you started with the Old Testament. Contextually, it helps you understand what Jesus is doing. Right. Right? Does does it mean that every story has Jesus in it? No. Does it mean that every story is pointing you to your need for rescue and salvation? No. Because God is not complete. He's not impractical. He created you to live on the earth. His whole right. focus isn't to have his relationship with you just so it can be somewhere else outside of the earth. Like, right. He created a good earth and he said it was good. Yep. And so, like, I, there's a practicality to it that I think um, we obfuscate by looking for salvation at every reference. It's just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would also say that, like, contextually, if you started with Jesus, you understand it's like th- his need, you understand what he's doing. Like, um, mm-hmm. you understand it deeper of what he's after by watching the human struggle in his absence. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I, I think there's a right thing that goes, how does – how in light of Jesus, how do I understand what I just yeah, right. read? How does it shift and change the things that Solomon is struggling with? Would it be different with the knowledge of, of Jesus? Would it shift? Uh, I think it's a healthy, a healthy exercise because mm-hmm. it helps you understand Jesus yeah, better. Right. Um, but I do think it is it is too narrow – um, to to look for Jesus under every rock and under every verse, I think I think it's um, it's not particularly helpful, and I think actually it, it sometimes um, covers up the things we're supposed to understand about humans, or even about the yeah. direction of of Yahweh's interaction with His people, because I it's it is it stands on its own, right? Yeah. Early Jews know they understand Jesus because they understand their Old Testament, and so right. it's uh, it's a I, not to overuse the word, but it's a privileged position mm-hmm. to go. Jesus is under every rock. I I, I think. As a fulfilling of the narrative, it reopens and deepens what you read, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's hiding everywhere. I don't know, Dan. What are yeah. your thoughts there? Well, I think I think that the idea comes from an overly clever preacher trying to put Jesus in every text. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I asked, you know, is Jesus is in Genesis? Blah blah blah. You know, and then they go through the thing, and then just like, 
I mean, yeah, but no. I mean, everything bends it. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. It's, yeah, uh, and I've fallen into that. I've definitely been in a place where, sure. as I'm teaching, I've tried to be like, where are we finding Jesus in this piece? Where, I mean, there's years ago. Now I would yeah. look at that and go, I don't really know if that's the important narrative that I, I thought it was at the time. Yeah, like, like some people say Song of Solomon is all about Jesus. And I'm like, no, no, it was a guy who was married right, and, and, and just liked was, the boobs. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it's. He was excited about a, a, a beautiful relationship that God allowed him to have through He just creation. happened to have, you know, 900 of them. You know I mean? He's <laughs> Is that right? So, That's the truth. I mean, <laughs> well, no, so like, so take, for example, the guys from the Bible Project will say, we believe that Scripture is a unified story that points to Jesus. I yeah. agree, I agree yeah. with that. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And but I think that's still fair. Yes. But that's not the same thing as... Every you know, cut up section in every chapter of a book. Yeah. Go, how is Jesus in here? I'm yeah. like, he's not. In fact, his absence is a real problem in this area. <laughs> People, God's not even mentioned. That's, in a, Bruce. that's, a, that's a, a very interesting way to put that. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, yeah. you, I mean, you can get caught in some serious, like, lengthy position or uh, uh, parts of your Old Testament where you're like, is I mean. I appreciate what's happening here, but we're on like chapter three yeah. of like straight. These are the singers. Yeah. And and like these are the ones who play this instrument and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And like naturally, there's a there's a larger narrative of like what did that mean culturally from the perspective of these are God's peoples and this is the stuff that they're doing as a part of their daily life, being within uh, 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 this this group of people that are identified by Yahweh, right? But like, I don't know if I'm going to read through a list of flute flutists and go, man, Jesus there's really Jesus. is present here. Flutus. Yeah, yeah. flutists, whatever. Here's, sorry. Here's what I would say. I was just making a flautas joke, like the Mexican. Like, I know. Uh, Mexican <laughs> food. Um, I'm the only the person day. here you don't explain that. I to. love me a flauta. Um, so, so here's what here's my my encouragement to you is like you're going to find not just you but like in general. <laughs> Got it. As you as you go through your scripture reading, you're going to come across the lens every so often, and you're like, wow, that really opens up the place. Yeah. You should embrace that, but embrace it as a yes and to steal yeah. from my boss at work. It's a yes and. Yes. Does, do, do these things point to Jesus? Yes. And also probably something else. Right. And, oh, wow, I've never thought about curses. It's really blowing my mind. Yes, maybe. And it also probably points you to Jesus. And it's also a lesson in human ignorant behavior. Yeah, right. And like <laughs> it has to have context in that piece too. Yes. There's yeah. there's not there's not one key that unlocks the depths of scripture. Um you're going to find lenses that are just going to keep making it deeper and deeper and oh, embrace absolutely. that without making it feel like it has to be so singular and restrictive. I think I think there's no reason to box God in and box scripture in in that way. Be open to like I was looking 10 years ago, I was thinking about this and it blew my mind. And then now I saw this and now it's reopening up like, yes, and still the other thing that right. blew your mind right. and something else five years from now, praise God for it cuts like an onion. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the world was created in California. And ever since California went down the tubes, he says, God says, I'm going to, I'm going to have you start driving this car to- towards New York, right? The, the arc of the, of the, of the, trip is to get you to New York across the whole United States. Ticket to ride. It's gonna yeah. be ten trains. You're gonna ticket you're gonna ticket to ride to the United States or all the way across the United States to New York. Yeah. Um, and that's where the vindication is gonna be found. But along the way you're gonna have to go through Idaho and Montana and Iowa and whatever. And like it would be a misunderstanding of the trip to go Iowa is a long road to New York. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the mountains the mountains found in Montana are the mountains of New York. Right? Like right. You've, You've basically like boiled the trip down to 
its end and what it's pointing to, and it's all good and right because that is the direction right, that the biblical narrative is pointing to. Yeah. Like we have a fall where humanity couldn't cut it, and, and God says, I have to provide a rescue. So like this is the roadmap to the rescue, but that does not mean that God is not present and there's not things happening, and like even even the, the rest stop in the middle of, of Illinois can't stand on its own as being significant. It's just not the the the, the overarching yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Good. Okay. Example. Okay. All right. Asked and answered. Let's. Uh, hey, do you have any questions for Ask the Pastor? Hit us up at the Live from the Path Complaint Line. Uh, okay. I the Live from the Path Complaint Line. I, I thought of just... some quick some quick questions. Okay. One. Uh, did God ever actually talk to David? Did uh, God talk to David? Uh, yes. Uh, well, there are places where I think it's ambiguous because God would say – like he would ask the ephod. He yes, would ask right. the ephod or he would say, God, will you deliver this to me? And God's, it'll say God's response was blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't particularly say through a prophet. how he answered right. and okay. in what way he answered. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are there any – are there any – not Proverbs. Yeah. Are there any Proverbs that directly go against uh, biblical law? There are – Yes. Um, I'd have to look. There are proverbs that, well, that are at least contentious with each other. Yep. Um, right. I'd have to. I'd have to look it up. Maybe let's pick that up. Like contentious proverbs for two hundred. Okay. Uh, next week. Yeah, yeah. And I can do that. I'm literally reading it every day. So. Okay. Uh, also, it it occurred to me that like we were talking about lenses that like the book of Proverbs, anything involving David and the Song of Solomon, all provide like very different aspects. Of of places that you like if you're if you're just reading the Mosaic Law, it's very dry, right? Like it's very black and white. And then the human experience is not that way. And then here comes like David. He's a highly emotional character, right? He has huge swaths of up and down and, and mm-hmm. laments and celebrations and whatever. And like here comes this character that you like up to that point, it was basically stories like here's here's what happened. You know, and then like David seems to bring in a lot of emotion into it. And and like that's a lot of the Psalms are that way, mm-hmm. and then the Proverbs are like straight wisdom. It's not here's the law. It's here's the interpretation of what the output might look like in your life, right? And so like here's here's how that would start to to filter through. And then you get like the Ecclesiastes guy, who's like kind <laughs> of the heaven. same vein, but he's kind of it's all smoke. He's a real downer. Like yeah. he's a real critic of things, you know. But anyway, like if you start if you put all those books together. Like, especially in the way that they're presented to us, like, it is a very, it just brings a very dimensional way of Yahweh's interaction, both with the world and then the human experience living on God's creation, like, of how it's just got a lot of depth to it. Yeah. You know, like, and without those books, I don't know that you would have the same, like, like, sometimes, like, you feel like, um, even as you're walking as a Christian, you're like, it shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel so dejected or so frustrated or so like my life is not going the way that it should. And then like you have the biblical example of David who's like, I'm calling your name and you are nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like it's almost like a small bolster of like, well, David struggled with the same thing. Yeah. Maybe I'm not so far out of line here, you know? Like, it needs to be corrected. Like, the course gets corrected throughout David's life in, in most ways. But, like, still, like, without those words of comfort or wisdom in there, like, you're just missing on, like, a huge part of God's character 
and your your own where he's saying, look, I know you're going to struggle in this way. Yep. Like a guy after my own heart struggled in this way. Yep. So be comforted, son, that I know that this is part of the, the fallen world that you're currently living in. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to Life from the Path. Again, if you have an uh, Ask the Pastor, it's uh, Life from the Path. Bob Eisler, complaint line 515-517-0085. You can call or send a text or an emoji or uh, an animated giphy or however you communicate uh, communicate with the world we uh, we can we can take it in at the live from the path 515-517-0085 we'd love to be able to hear from you let's mike let's give out some advice don't send us a giphy send me a giphy okay ready dear live from the path hello my husband has for years felt the need to talk filthy and ask sexual sexual questions of other women whoa of it other bothers women. me something terrible wow. to them yeah He's upset that I ruin his quotes fun, and he insists he isn't hurting anyone. That he likes to to he likes being the life of the party. We have fought over this for years, and I'm exhausted from it. I told him I don't see the need for him to do this, and he continues to tell me I need to quit being so unreasonable. I don't know what to do, and I'm ready to just give up. It doesn't make me love or respect him. I actually loathe him when he does. Please help. Repelled in Iowa. Oh, that's not in sure, our own backyard, boys. <laughs> this is happening here. Oh, oh, dear. Okay. So this fellow's making like sexual comments towards other ladies at parties? He's the perv of the party. No one thinks he's the life of Correct. the party. No one. Everyone thinks he's the creep of the party <laughs> this and wishes where, he wasn't around. This is where Bob Russell has the thing nailed. Uh, this guy's been right. drinking. <laughs> yeah. He talks filthy and no. asks sexual questions. No one's I'm, impressed. No. Okay. Stop it. I've met a few fellows like this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. They're gross. We're yeah. talking to you, Chad. Yeah. Chad, you're gross. Uh, not you, but we're talking to a Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not not the Dan in this room, but there's a Dan. Okay. And I wish Dan watched this show so he could know that I'm talking about him, yeah. admittedly. This is you. There's Dan, Dan, I'm talking to you. You're terrible and creepy, and nobody likes what it is. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I'm interested... It doesn't really matter that much what the person's age is that does this because like I don't I I've only met that kind of social creepy person that's either like 60 plus fella mm-hmm. that like I don't know if he was like military guy or or whatever surroundings like what whatever you want to call it or like creepy college dude that like is this way as well yeah. but like creepy college dude is definitely not harmlessly doing this for sure because they're just trying to see how many avenues that they can walk down creepy old guy may just be trying to relive a life that he used to live of like promiscuity or whatever regardless of the reasoning everyone is uncomfortable by it and the people that aren't uncomfortable by it and are buying into it are hurt people that they think that that's the only worth that they have that's the bigger deal for me is the fact that if you can get people at this party to buy into your filthy talk and being gross and blah 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 one they don't respect themselves Two, they don't respect you. Three, they don't respect your marriage. And they're lying to me. Yeah, yeah. And they're and like it's it's all it's <laughs> it's not. all it's all hevel. It's all smoke. It's vapor. It's, it's like, fleeting. It's like the guy that, that shows up on the news once in a while who like thinks it's really a good idea to take a picture of his penis and send to some girl, and then she's like, I don't want to see that. Right. Like, yeah. what makes you think I want to see that? Yeah. I, I mean, no part of that geometry makes me happy, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, no, they want to see this. It's like, no, no, they nope. don't. They don't want to hear your the crap. World. They yep. don't want to see your pictures. They don't want to. Yep. Just stop it. Yeah. Unless they're a medical professional and you are showing them that you have a problem, stop it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And even in that situation, it's most likely not that. Yeah. And if you know a friend who's a nurse, that's not an acceptable situation. Go to the doctor. You I creep. feel like dudes will definitely do this. Hey, do you see something wrong on here? <laughs> Does that look look different to you? <laughs> oh, oh, so you think it's all right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that's perfect. So look, here's Indeed. the problem, though, is like he's not saying, hey, is this acceptable? Everybody seems to love it. His wife is asking what to do about this dude. Uh, she obviously can't do it. She's tried. But, but I mean, that's the yeah. That's the sad part is the fact that she's had this conversation yeah. multiple times to the point that she has to she has to categorize that she loathes this person because of this. Of course I, you do. It's, it's not a believable offense or anything. But but you, maybe just don't go with him. You stop going. For yeah. starters. Wait a minute. You said it's not a what offense? You leaveable. don't leave the marriage on it. I said leaveable. <laughs> I got what you meant. You know what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Mike, does this feel? You're making a face, Mike. Do you feel as though this is a leavable offense? Not, is there a contention amongst for divorce. the room? Do you want me to say it that way? I, yeah, yeah. I'm a, yeah. I'm gonna have to think about this because here's the thing: <laughs> it's like there's zero honoring, yeah, of that woman in that marriage, and I get that. And like that is a line. I, I just have a hard time believing that he's not engaged in other things. Like I just that would, or be, at least wants to be. Yeah, I think he's just a loudmouth perv. I mean, he, he's probably he, he super insecure. He's probably like hates himself, and this is the avenue that he he evolves yeah, in. He's it. Rodney Dangerfield. There's, he's a pervert. There's a hundred reasons why someone could act this way, and not a single one of them is justified. Yeah, well, well, yeah, right, right. So this is hard, right? Because you can't give out generalized advice uh, because it depends on the players in the room, right? So like yeah. this situation came up in our group of friends. Like I think we would just go. I'll go talk to him. Right, it's no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we go. We'll go straighten this out a little bit. At least have. At least we get to say everything that you're afraid to say or don't feel yep. like it'll create a situation. Like a good strong lovingly in your life that goes. Look, man, the, the, this is ridiculous. Let me ask this. Okay, I, I feel like this has came come up in advice before, but I don't remember where we landed. Is it inappropriate for the wife to approach one of his friends? That's what I was wondering. To ask yeah, for yeah. help? Yeah. No. Or even get the whole group. If it's like intimate friends together, just say, hey, guys, can we just be honest here for a second? Yeah. Uh, this, is this uncomfortable? Yeah. Embarrass him. I mean, he's not listening. Let him, let, but you got to be, they got to be honest. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think, I don't have a problem with this, actually. I no. think if I was doing something and I, I, like, I was being stubborn or pigheaded and my wife went to one of you guys yeah. and said, hey, can you talk? I'm this. I'm struggling with this. Can you go talk to Ben? Uh, I would be I, like if I was in my right mind, mm-hmm. I would be okay with that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would Agreed. be just fine. Same. Well, even eventually you would be. Even if you're not in your right mind, you would eventually go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah. that's right. In, yeah. In the presence of a church community here, this gets solved by church fellas talking to fellas. Yeah. Right. In yeah, the yeah. absence of that situation, it sounds like you can talk to friends and ask them to cover that piece and go, hey, like. You know, Don's doing some creepy stuff, and like he, I've tried to talk to him many times, and I just, I hate it so much. And does he she, won't listen to me. Does she talk to the wives or to their husbands? That's the question. Like, hey, talk to the wife to talk to their husband, or I wouldn't have a problem with my wife going directly to one of my friends. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it can be risky. Yeah, of course. Um, well, it's to... an embarrassing for too, right? Like, this is embarrassing that your yeah, husband's acting like a complete yeah. Jerk. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's a good question. I'm cautious there. I, I think maybe it'd be better to do again if you said for what? Look, I'm not coming anymore, and here's I'm not coming to the parties when you're acting like this. Here's exactly why I'm not coming. You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing me, and I'm not doing it. Um, if if that does not have any reaction, 
I think uh, it's okay to stage what in effect feels like an intervention. Right. And yeah. and let the rest of his friends and speak to it. And frankly, if they back him, you're just kind of hosed. Like yeah, I was saying, how did the husbands not know about this? I don't, Aren't they hearing it? Is it maybe is, was that the context? Maybe he talks or was to this... the ladies, and so like, it seems like around. that's the deal. Yeah, that's yeah. what I he took from it. Was alone that he was like punch bowl? Hey, I don't like. You want well, a real maybe punch? it's women that are not associated with. That's what I was about to say too. Yeah, exactly. It could just be ladies uh, at a party, and he yeah, just goes we're, up we're, to him and be like, "Notice you went with the slim black dress tonight, baby." Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, I can't imagine any husband worth the salt would allow some loudmouth drunk to like start yapping off right filthy crap to their wife. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing: is I, he's probably long overdue for a whooping. I don't know how he's he's avoided one all these years. Honestly, uh, I I don't know that. Like he, as far as the advice to the wife goes, I think you're right. Like I uh, to navigate this well, I, I I would normally like if I wanted to go talk to Ben's wife, like like it was just going to be her and I talking, I would just text him, "Hey man, I need to stop by and talk to your wife for a minute." Like I do that all the time. Right. Like every random person that I like, if I need to talk to like another female, like on their own, I, I always just text their well, bring husband. Bring your wife. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just and it, I, I just think that's just a, a built-in whatever. Like yeah. what? I, there's nothing wrong with that. So, and I think you can have the conversation and to not like gossip or like have to unnecessarily embarrass yourself in front of a bunch of people, right? Like I think that's all fine. I just think you. I mean, it's just good practice to give a heads up. Yeah, I would say that like don't feel like you have to. You do not have to dishonor yourself. Um. Because he like to match his dishonoring of you, and so it's it's perfectly fine to not go. It's perfectly fine not to go down to his level. Uh, I I think you got to be cautious not to be overly punitive. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's he's a child, and so right like, uh, without being like I don't want you to dominate over your husband, but you do have access to your man in a way that no one else does, and so like it's okay to be very clear with your spouse. These are the things that like. I love about you. I enjoy. Here's the things that I do not. Um, your spouse should be able to refine you in that way. And so um, try not to punish him outside of the bounds of the thing that's causing the problem. Like if he goes to a party and that you didn't attend, the punishment was that you did not attend. Uh, you don't withhold sex and sandwiches for the next two weeks in consequence to it. Like I, I be careful that he doesn't cause you to stumble because he's being a moron. Um, however, I, I think it's perfectly fine that you you can um, guard yourself in such a way that says I will not um, I'm not going to follow you down this crass and ugly hole. Secular's mm-hmm. advice. Booba's pondering whether she should withhold sex and sandwiches. No, not at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I, at least not sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not sandwiches. Um, no, it, it's it's interesting because like as I'm trying to to think through what I would say to this person who's who's asking us, you know, for advice. Um, my advice to someone that's not in the church is very different than my advice to someone that's within the church, right? That has a relationship with Christ, because. The from the perspective of I have a relationship and like my my father or my my husband and I are 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 Christ following and are within the kingdom stuff like that. There's really two offenses here. There's the offense between you and your husband that is is important to talk about, but there's also the offense between your husband and his father, his king. Like that's there's a sin problem here as well. It's not just the affronting between you and him in the relationship. There's a there's a disconnection that sin causes that that is also a part and to be not necessarily harsh but trying to be truthful is more important that is the the disconnect between him and his god than the disconnect between you and him and like that's the thing that needs addressing 
uh, for sure, whether that's by you within the marriage of being open to your husband and recognizing that, like, hey, like this is this is a problem because there's lustful sin and desire behind this that we need to talk about. On top of the fact that you're dishonoring me in our marriage and that also bringing that to a church community to go like, not only am I being affronted as the wife of a man who is very clearly lusting or whatever realm you want to call it when it comes to these kind of lewd comments and things like that, but like there is there is a person who is who is who is openly sinning and rebelling here that needs to have that brought to heel as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a bigger part of the conversation of. You may not look at me and go, this is super important every time that I tell you I don't want you to do this because it's making me uncomfortable. But you are sinning against your God openly, and that's the more important piece that you need to get your heart to align to. That's what you need to bring to heal, and that's what we need to keep most certainly focused on. And hitting that like a friggin', I mean, a comet to it with prayer and with with running to God with this kind of stuff. Because this kind of sin is, I mean, it's just poison. It is absolutely internal poison. And yeah, so that, that's what I was pondering to say. Tegular says, mm -hmm. it's sad that your husband would continue to do something he knows embarrasses you. You can't change him, so it's time to change the way you react to his outrageous behavior. Try ignoring him and distancing yourself when it happens. It would be interesting to know how his questions affect the women he's asking. Do they consider him to be the life of the party or just a possible drunken bore? <laughs> because you have already talked to him until you're blue in the face, start talking to them. Perhaps yeah. if you present a united front, he will stop. Okay, I did think the, the the reason I was laughing is I thought of the situation where he goes up and tells something crass or something, and then she just hands immediately hands them like a card or something that says, "Can you fill this out and tell me just just fill it out? Do you feel like your name, first name, and uh, do you feel comfortable? What was your reaction? To and, and just like follow <laughs> the guy around and then just continue to, to build evidence next to him. We'd like to report this. Yeah, you're creeping him out. <laughs> hey, uh, oh, I heard what you just said. This is my husband. He's a, I'm embarrassed of him. I thought that was crass and wrong. Can you fill this out real quick? I just I'm collecting evidence. He doesn't seem to believe this is a problem. <laughs> and that's bull crap. He knows it's a problem. Oh, of course he does. He thinks it's hilarious. He just, right, exactly. Right. He thinks, <laughs> Either that or he he's, he's just freaking cast in a wide net. Trying to make something happen or trying to yeah. feel something and be fulfilled with this. I, I think he wouldn't be able to handle it if something happened. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's that's, uh, that's most of the, <laughs> most of the dudes in the world yeah. with their braggadocio, stupid comments. Yeah. And then if a good looking lady turned for five yep. seconds and goes, okay, man, let's let's get together. Yeah. <laughs> He'd You're a dog him. chasing a car, and you have no idea what to do when you get it. He'd wet himself. That is the number one. That is the number one a cure for me. If I'm having like a problem someday, and I'm like, yeah. "Hey, baby," you know, I think, "Okay, what if she says yes?" I'm like, "Well, I'm, I have no intention." I mean, like, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, "Oh, well, never mind." No, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, <laughs> yeah never mind. <laughs> How dare you, Jezebel? Get away! <laughs> I'm married. I'm, That's right. I'm I know what you've birthed Babylon from. Get out of here. I'm not attracted to ladies who would respond to my cat calls. Exactly. I just like my, to assume you all love me. My life is an ironic conundrum. That is funny, right? Because like so many dudes have got like, they talk this big game. They're like, yeah. they're not only looking or like fantasizing about things that they were never capable, like would never cross their paths, but they're also imagining themselves as a different person actually right. doing yes. it yeah, yeah. because they have zero like, like swagger to pull You are not Rico Suave off. grabbing the lady in a Fabio book. Like it's not yeah. happening. I don't know how many times that, like, I don't know, I get a new pair of pants or something, or I cut a haircut, something like that, and I, 
I get put on stuff on, and I look in the mirror, and I go, oh, <laughs> well, then, <laughs> that's, that's humbling. Yeah. I, really, I really thought these three things that just happened might have really upped this game, but it did not. <laughs> See, my problem is, is I don't go, oh, crap, that didn't work. I go, this is what the Lord made today. Yeah. <laughs> go, hide your wives. <laughs> oh, you boy, in the house. <laughs> I get a haircut, and I'm like, ooh, Lord, you put some, some pizzazz on it today. <laughs> that's what you did. Uh, okay, last one. Yep. Dear Life from the Path, my daughter is the youngest kid in the neighborhood, and a girl up the street treats her horribly. Mm-hmm. She calls her a baby, tells her she's not a person, and sends her home when everybody plays at her house. Mm-hmm. The other kids are friendly with my daughter, and when they come to play at our house, the mean girl comes too. She's never mean to my daughter when I'm around, but I don't think it's right to let her enjoy our pool and games when she won't let my daughter play at her house. How do I ask her to leave without seeming like a bully while allowing the other kids to stay and play? The other mother is of no help. Okay, this is weird as it juxtaposes against the previous set of advice. Uh, Because the question is, is that like, dirty old crass man, you have a reckoning and you say, I hold you accountable. He should know better. Yes. Eight-year-old child. The question with this girl... Um, now, I mean, if, if 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 the description is to be believed, she obviously has control of it if she doesn't do it around the mom. Um, but it doesn't mean like the type of kid who's like cruel in such a way and manipulative about it. Uh, and to a mom who does not, from a mom who does not care, uh, that tells you something, yeah. right? And so, like, I, I just, I, it is my belief, and this is a little bit of Ben's twenty uh, first century to twenty uh, blindness here, but like, um. I, I do believe people will live up to your expectations of them um, if you can encourage them to do so. Like most people um, are more, far more inclined to live up to a good version of themselves that you seem to believe than they are um, to be rightly rendered and judged upon uh, and expect to bounce back under their own accord. I just I, – I think that's true with people who don't have nefarious intent – um, but who are products of their environment or right. ignorance? Yeah. Those people will live up to your to like. It's just I don't know if you guys ever had this, but like someone who just seems to see you in a light that is way better than you know. Like you know, you're like I'm not that. I know I'm not. How have I fooled this person? But when they're in the room, you tend to live up to the thing that they believe about you. You you white like oh he's such a nice boy he always compliments and then you walk into the room to this lady the next time you see her and you're you find yourself complimenting things better than you would two hours ago because someone thought up of you that's my marriage yes there it is in this way is this why you act like a real raccoon in here is because we're not doing the same thing yeah you guys don't hold me to a higher standard you normally break me down yes okay all right it's not working Mike. We gotta change our ways of moving. We're like fifteen years into this. Anyway, the only yeah. Oh, does this change the way we talk to the perv then? No, no, no absolutely not. No, no because well, you're then whatever. To, you're, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Change the way we're gonna talk to the perv. It, it's possible both my daughters had situations like this, but they were kids at school, not anybody in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. which may have changed what I would think. Because uh, at some point, I thought, you know, this is just this is called life. You're gonna work with people who are. You know, jerks. Right. You're gonna. Ha- I mean, Amen. you just learn to get along, and and you got to ignore. You got to ignore them, and they're calling you a not a person or all the stuff. Uh, you don't have. To, means you don't have to hang out with them. You don't that have to be their best friend. Quickly in that list. What's that? It escalated so quickly in that list. It was you're a baby. You're not a person. <laughs> yeah, you're not a person. Well, you're a baby non-person. But but you know, so somewhere there, you got to toughen up yourself so you can yep. learn to live in this environment. 
At this, and then I'd bring them, invite them all over, and I'd have them watch Mean Girls uh, like every day, especially the last scene. And just this is what happens to the Mean Girls. This is what happens. And then maybe wow. I would, this yeah. could be you of Dan. <laughs> I, I own a bus. <laughs> I, Did someone get hit by a bus in Mean Girls? I, now I don't want to ruin it. Okay, oh, is, I'm not, okay. Is yep. there any so is there any situation in which you was you feel it's appropriate for the parent to step in and talk to this girl? I think that would escalate things. Yeah, no, that's going to make it worse. They yeah. don't care about you. Not like that, right? Yeah. I think to Ben's point, like you parent them like you parent your own kid, right? So like if they start acting a fool and mean, then like it's all it's all about controlling yourself, right? Like not being like blown around by the winds of uh, of of small children or even bad parenting like that lets you get caught up and match their energy of ridiculousness, yeah. right? So like when someone says, "Hey, uh, Sandra says that I'm not a person. Are you a person? Yes. Well, then Sandra's not right. Yeah. yeah. So I guess. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> you know, or like she comes over and like uh, maybe she behaves herself when she gets there. Or maybe when, when they all pile in, you say, look, ladies, I need to talk to you real quick before we start the day. Look, uh, the general rules around here is like we treat uh-huh. people with respect. And so if you feel like you can't do that or I notice that you're struggling doing that. I'm going to ask you to rethink the way that you're acting. And if you can't fall in line with it, then we'll just have to ask you to not hang around until you're ready to to give it the program, you know? And, like, if you set the expectations on the way out in a calm, concise manner, not run over by your emotions or your perceived hurt from your daughter, right? Like, that's how you would parent your own kid in the situation. Love them enough to treat them like one of your own kids, Mm -hmm. and they get to leave their mistakes at the door, and then you get to deal with your daughter and, like, the way that she talks to them around their friends or around over at her house, like... Whatever, like, we got to stop feeding in to, like, this righteous indignation about everything, yeah. right? Some things are just things, and you go, look, you're obviously not a baby, and you're obviously a person, and so, like, I like she's trying to make you upset, so, like, you can either take the bait, or you can go, well, I mean, until she's done, like, degrading me, maybe I don't want to hang over there anyway, <laughs> you know? Like, stop trying to be upset about everything, or find little mini justice, like some things are just not what they're supposed to be, and mm-hmm. we just move on. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mike. I wasn't laughing at anything you're saying. I was thinking to myself how funny it would be if Secular's advice was to go beat up the mom. <laughs> <laughs> like, since you can't hit the kid, go beat the crap out of the mom. Go find Janice. Give her the old, the unhelpful elbow. mother. It's especially true with kids. Like this situation. Like you get to start creating boundaries. For adults in your life that act this way, like because they're they're destructive and they can actually tear whole yeah, cities right. down with their behavior. Mm-hmm. But kids, right? I, I mean, if you obviously can look and say this house, we're we're better parents than everybody else. We know how to raise kids. Well, then raise that one, right? Help yeah. that one if you've got this all figured out, right? Yeah. <laughs> actually, I think that's there's a good encouragement in that. Um, in that, like, if it's your house and your family and people are over, like, it's totally fine. You may oh, be yeah. giving them something that they never get. Yep. Someone who cares enough to say, hey, I'm not going to let you harm yourself or harm others or act like a buffoon in here. Yeah. Uh, and like our I, house. The, yeah. right, the, the presumption is, is that the kid's going to stomp their feet and get mad and steal your liquor and go home. And maybe they will. But like, or like they're at, you're treating them like a human being. Hey. I, like I'm going to, I care enough about you to interact with you in this way. I don't know that I ever really like. I'm pretty loose with kids in general, but like I really don't care who your kid is. If the kid is at my house, and right. like I t- people tend to come over and start teaching my youngest kid bad things. It's funny things mm-hmm. that you la- not like like terrible things, but things you laugh at when your parents aren't around. You get the little kid to do it because he's the littlest one around anymore. And like okay, my kids do the same thing, and so I would say, hey man, don't 
don't pervert that kid. He's still innocent. You knock it off. Go talk about something else. I probably said that to every set of kids I've ever met yeah. who's been at my house. Hey, don't pervert that kid. That's not good stuff to talk about. Go talk about something else. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, what? Do, <laughs> I have no reason to allow people to act foolish. But, like, to Mike's point, like, I don't, I'm not mad at your children. I'm not, I don't feel like, haha, show them, take that kid. Right. I'm just like, it's the same thing I would say to everybody. Uh, and, I, it, yeah, you don't, don't hold a vendetta against a child. And uh, but yeah. but feel free to guide them in the ways that are right. Yeah, where you need to correct is when you see the, say the phrase, "I don't think it's right to let her enjoy our pool and games when she right. lo- won't let my daughter play at her house." That's not the point. Like you're gonna you're gonna try to teach your daughter how to do life generously and correctly, and you just as well teach that other kid too while she's over at your place if you feel like you got this nailed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I would just you need to look at that kid way different. Yep. Uh, Secular says, I. I assume the other mother is aware that her daughter refuses to allow your daughter to play at her house with the other kids. Because she hasn't intervened, the ball's in your court. Teach your daughter a lesson in assertiveness. The next time the bully shows up, your daughter should tell the girl she's not welcome and why. I, to be honest with you, I'd, let, I'd put it in my kids' court and say, what, what do you want me to do here? Right? Do you want them to come over or do you want to tell them the what for? And if they say, we're going to tell them what fur, then I'd have to, then it's a teaching moment with your kid. You go, okay, so you can do that. Like it's an option, but let's look at the situation that she's in, right? Let's, let's look at, at her behavior and, and why you think she's acting the way she is. And then let's see if we, we still feel the same way because right. If you're asking me as your dad, um, I'm leaning towards let's invite her over and, uh, and, and love her well. And we won't let her get away with stuff here, but like, let's invite her over. She can use pool. Yeah, I think it's okay to accept that. Like, uh, th- that is often the case. People, depending on what environment they're in, they they tend to adapt to it. If you run a, I don't even want to say a tighter ship, but like one that demands that people t- treat each other well, and she can uh, uh, do that here, what does it tell me? It tells me that other environment isn't serving her well. And so, what do you learn? Like, what do you teach her? What do you gain positively for you and for the world by saying, you know what, I'm going to cut off access to that good environment. Why don't you go to punish you? Go to the place where you're the biggest jerk yeah. and sit in it over there. Like it's not your job to rescue the whole world necessarily and and like reparent everybody. But for no. heaven's sakes, man, they're walking right in. And especially at the age that you're talking about, like we're not near as worried about this. Find me when they're like early teenage years or whatever. And some people are starting to borderline creepy, or some people are borderline violent. Like this is a different discussion. But the discussion that you're having, I I, I don't see any risk here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you're listening live from the path. Uh, maybe you disagree with that. I don't know. Have you run into situations like this, uh, con- contested things between you and uh, the children of the neighborhood and uh, other parents who won't uh, cooperate? What have you done? It's always the kid where you're like, you never go, I don't understand it. That house is just such a warm, welcoming environment. It's never that guy. No. Like, it's always the one where you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Right. You understand it. You got some sympathy. You're like, you know what? I've met your mom. I get it. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. I, I totally understand. It always is, and so like honestly, once again, like it's not legalism. You're taking in a whole situation and going, "What's going on here?" It's just putting a little thought into it. Is all. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's the same thing you would want to do for your kids in general. Like you give them options. Hey, man, here's the terms of which you can come and enjoy the place. You accept the terms or not? If the answer is no, well, then you can't be here. Like you can't bully other people here. You can't mistreat my kid here. You can't steal my liquor or uh, non-alcohol the old duels or whatever it is you have. Like. 
that's not allowed. If you can abide by those things, enjoy the pool. And I think nothing of it. And I don't, I'm not going to like, I got my eye on you all the time. Like, welcome. This is what happens when you abide by the rules. Yeah. I think, I think it once again, I think it's the, the theme of the day for me is like, it's putting your, your feelings or perceptions as if they're the only person that gets to drive the car. Like you're hurt on your daughter's behalf because she's being mistreated at somebody else's house. Yeah. As a parent, that sucks. And nobody wants to hear that. Right. But like you have zero reason to put your vindictive emotion in the driver's seat against an eight-year-old girl. Right. Right. That just don't make any sense. Yeah. What uh, what people intend for evil, like uh, give them the old Jesus judo, turn around and use it for good with more power than what they started at you. Mm-hmm. Like it changes the world. And like through through Jesus, it's, you're capable of doing it. And so I think it's the time to, to make it happen. You've been listening to Live from the Path. Again, if you've got any comments or feedback or questions for us to show, uh, hit the Bob Eisenhower Live from the Path complaint line, 515-517-0085. Call or text. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we will, I don't know, fire up a show sometime soon, I'm sure. In the meantime, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path.